Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The uh, smoke from some lingering fireworks still in the air on this Wednesday morning. I assume it's back to reality for 90%, 90-ish percent of the workforce here on this Wednesday, July 5th. That's certainly the case for myself. I am Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton as we are back in the saddle here. Happy 4th of July to everybody out there. And uh, for the most part, I thought the firework explosion around my house seemed to tame around 10.30-ish, 11 o'clock. Kids slept through it, so that's all that matters. About 11.30 or, well, a little past 12. You had your... your outliers around 12 i had mentioned i learned my lesson kevin um when it and i am 100 percent all about people celebrating independence day and getting together with barbecues and and cookouts and swimming and and even going down to the bottom of the driveway with the kids and having their own little you know 20 30 minute fireworks show that's cool um I made a comment on social media, like on Saturday night, about the people that that use it as an excuse to like blow up the entire neighborhood for a week straight, and how like to most neighbors it becomes a little tiresome, and and then people mistook me for Mao Zedong. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm not even gonna not even gonna mention it. I thought last night I watched on television. Hashtag deport um, Jake. That's right. I watched on television the uh, fireworks show downtown. I thought it was outstanding. I thought they did a great job. Uh, the music was fabulous with it. There's nothing like Ray Charles' version of uh, America the Beautiful. It's awesome. Um, and the fireworks look great. I thought th- some of the – and kudos to Fox 59, which is the, the station on which I was watching it. The um, the aerials they had of the, the fireworks like throughout from the different aerial views of downtown looked made Indianapolis look really, really good. So – uh, it was great. What did you do for the holiday itself, Kevin? Yeah, we didn't do a whole lot. It was more of like a decompress. Let's finally unpack from the week-long uh, family reunion up in northern Michigan. Uh, we went to Upland yesterday with the kids. Always enjoy um, stopping there. So we were at Upland right there at 49th and College. Walked there. And then for the most part, again, it was just kind of like, all right, back to reality. I had some bad Sunday scaries last night. I was like, do I know how to work? Yeah, it's it is weird, doesn't it? Feel it is obviously a Wednesday that feels like a Monday. Yeah, which it's very strange. Then driving in, I'm like, okay, you can do this. It's three shows. <laughs> Come on now. I thought you about know? that. I'm like, I thought about talking that myself at 38th and Capitol driving down here, and then Capitol was one lane the whole way down. You're like, what happened I know, here? I'm like, it, was that a firework that made that sidewalk all of a sudden just <laughs> yeah. turn into a crater there? But I am looking forward to today's show because while we, we haven't you know chatted to you in, in a while, there certainly is a ton of Pacers news. Um, obviously, the NBA calendar enters this kind of weird period here where they take a massive moratorium around July 1st, but yet you have all these news items, and later this week, the Pacers will head to Vegas for their summer league. Last year, we had Ronald Norred, Pacers summer league coach, who I saw is now in Atlanta. Correct. Went to the Hawks. Yeah. Uh, Mike Bray, you know, is on that Hawks staff now. So Mike Bray, loading up on all the Indiana Mike Bray and Ronald Norad now with Quinn Snyder in Atlanta. We're going to have Gennaro Pargo on the show. He is the Pacers summer league coach coming up at 830. And again, that's a summer league roster that is not just 
Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, you know, Oscar Shibway, those guys. It's got a Benedict Matherin. It's got Andrew Nemhard. It's got Isaiah Jackson. So looking forward to that conversation coming up around 8.30 amidst all of the other Pacers headlines uh, over the last handful of days. You know, Pargo, I, I don't know why I've had this mental block. It's kind of like my, is it Dustin um, Dopirak, right? No, God. Dopirak. Yes. Okay. It's it's a similar mental hurdle as that. I have, for whatever reason, I can't get it out of my mind that Pargo played collegiately at Temple, which he did not, right? I, I have no idea. I be believe he played at Oklahoma. Am I wrong? But for in my mind, I always keep thinking there, there's a well, player. Was he about a decade in the NBA? Yeah, it was either Temple or UMass that had a player of similar name that I'm thinking of that I can't get out of my mind. Arkansas for Mr. Parker. Arkansas, sorry. I, I, for it's going to be like halfway through the interview today at about eight forty because he's joining us at eight thirty. Talk summer league. I, I might embarrass you guys by just asking a question like, "So what was John Cheney like?" See, I remember a Gonzaga player, kind of a high flyer guard named Jeremy Pargo. They might be related. Now that you mention it, that that's right. What what year was that? Don't think he would be as old as Gennaro. Gennaro's in his forties. Um, boy, I did not think we'd be on the Pargo family tree at seven five in the morning. Well, but, I mean, we're right back. It's like riding a horse, Kevin. But I am looking forward to chatting with him because I do think you know, in the few media sessions I've seen with him, he is pretty candid about the guys on the team. And you know, sometimes you get a player in that role, or uh, I should say, a young coach in that role, and it's like, oh boy, I don't want to ruffle any feathers here. But we'll get some summer league action. I think Trey brother Jackson. brother of Gennaro Pargo, Jeremy. Pargo. Jeremy is yes Gonzaga. Is that correct, right? Correct. Yep. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis sounds like a little banged up, has not played early for the Lakers or for the Warriors, I should say, in their summer league. I know Jalen Hood Shafino had a nice point total in his summer league debut, a bit inefficient from the field. I think those two are scheduled to play against each other coming up Friday night. Again, we'll see about health for Trace Jackson Davis as the summer league Do you know gets underway. One summer league player, one NBA player, and, and I want to make clear. I think people, because I've mentioned this guy several times, and I'm just fascinated by by him. I, I don't have like a rooting interest. I mean, I, I guess I'd have a rooting interest, but I'm not hoping for this to be the case. But you know one guy, if I'm not mistaken, who is still a free agent in the NBA that I've heard no rumblings about, no rumors about, unless... Unless I've missed something in the last week when I was, you know, detached or whatnot, who I wonder if he hasn't played his last game at least for a while in the NBA and is going to have to go elsewhere to play his way back into the league. It's a guy that that was in the epicenter of everyone's radar five years ago, and you hear nothing about him. Hmm. And he gets us in. I, I've gotten nothing. Romeo Langford. Romeo Langford's contract, his first contract in the NBA, is up with San Antonio. He has not re-signed with San Antonio. Um, is he on a summer league roster? I, and he is not. I looked. He is not on their summer league roster. Yeah, I saw the Spurs did not pick up. I think they might maybe had a team option with him, and I saw they did not pick that up. So clearly, moving in. A I, I mean, different direction on that front. But you don't even hear. And he's still a young player, and he has at times, I think, shown. I, can you say he's shown flashes? I don't know. 
he has at times gone in and at least looked competent. Let's say that. Not a ringing endorsement, I realize. But he's only, uh, yeah, he's 23 years old. Averaged seven points a game last year, 43 appearances. He, health-wise and defensive-wise, I think are probably the areas where, just just energy-wise. Yeah, it's not a good thing when you can't hang around the Spurs right now. And the problem is, correct, and the problem is, Kevin, you know, a lot of players I think you look at and you say, well, as soon as they get into the right system or they were you know, they were with a franchise that didn't necessarily play their style, he's been with two of them now. So it's not like you can say, well, he, he got his start, but he was just kind of in a bad fit and got buried there. And another team can say, well, we're going to give him an opportunity here. I, to your point, San Antonio last year, if you didn't get opportunity with at that play, you know, there, then... Yeah, he's been in win now, and he's been in tank. Correct. And neither have worked out, whether that was Boston or San Antonio. Several guys with Indiana ties, that would be either the state or the university, uh, moved in different directions here in free agency. We'll run down those. Obviously, the big Bruce Brown news. Obi Toppin coming here to Indiana. Again, Janera Pargo going to join us at 830. Uh, Have we gotten word yet? Is there a parade in Westfield today for, for their native man? For Joey, for Mr. Chestnut, you know what they could do. You know, when you were gone, Kevin, Sam Fritz filled in on the board for us. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sam, in addition to to working with Mark and I last week, Sam was working in the afternoon hours, not only on WIBC's news staff, but also putting together the music that was. Sam was the one that kind of put that all together and into the system. That was the music that the fireworks last night downtown were synced to. Um, so they could hire Sam and WIBC and their music library to play the music for the parade for Joey Chestnut. Oh, I thought you were referencing maybe Sam's history and eating contest. <laughs> Sam probably does have a history and eating contest. But you should see him handle a chorizo. It's crazy. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that as a popular eating contest. Is he contest the one that item? leaves the BW3 boxes in here? No, that's not him. <laughs> Do we know? Um, but Joey Chestnut, how about that? 62 of them yesterday, right? Amidst, you know, a little bit of... Um, Wouldn't you pace yourself? Because didn't he win by like 16 hot dogs? Well, you know, remember last year he had to dismantle the protester. That's right. No, was that last year or two years ago? And that was last year. That was fabulous. And then this year, Mother Nature said, all right, Joey, we're going to throw a curveball at you. And he called you know, everybody back out to the stage there in Coney Island. 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes for Joey Chestnut. Uh, did you see the number of calories that is? I'm going to guess here. I'm going to guess that 62 hot dogs are... 20 20,800 calories. Uh, 18,000 calories there for Joey Chestnut. A little over 1,100 in total fat. Carb-wise, 1,400, so should be good on carbs for the rest of July. Uh, That is now 16 times in the last 17 years Joey Chestnut has held up the belt. So I believe they say, what is it, every 3,000 excessive calories is a pound of weight? So he gained six pounds yesterday? I mean, he's got what do you to think the next off, week looks like for him? It's a good question. Good question. I, I I did think it was cool when they announced him, and they're like, Westfield, Indiana. I'm like, hell yeah! <laughs> Come on! No more Bay Area for him now, right? No, he's calling Westfield home, which I think he's done now for the last couple of years. I know we've had him in studio before, a lot of, a lot of 
relationships partners with St. Elmo here downtown for Joey Chestnut. So that was the um, certainly the appointment television yesterday. Slight delay, but around two o'clock, Joey and the and the and the crew called back out there. I did see there was a couple, one in the women's eating contest, and then. I think fiance was in the men's eating contest. So now, have you a, had a a can you imagine the famous coney or a hot dog? I, I can't say I've had that specific. They're they're different. Have you been there, Mark? My mom literally bought some for the first time ever over the weekend. So this is the first time I ever had one. Look at so that marketing. I know they're different though, right? They're like a yeah. it's a small it's a more of a smoky flavor, and it's also I don't know how to word this. Like it's how do I word? It, it's like a a more thin. The link itself is not as as big as like a ballpark yeah. hot dog. You're huh? saying it's a thin hot dog, correct? Um, and the the if you go to the Nathan's there, the bun is like kind of a toasted, like softer, you know, more collapsed, like smash bun, if you will. I know that sounds really weird to say. Um, Boy, you've really got into that. <laughs> I did. Well, I I went to Coney Island. I don't know, probably five years ago. I was in New York. I had free time. I don't remember why I was there for work for some reason. Must have been. A race in the air or something. I'm like, I'm going to go to Coney Island. I've never been to Coney Island. So I went there and uh, just walked around. It was, it, it's very nostalgically cool. But Nathan's right there. I mean, you're like, you turn the corner and you're like, whoa, there it is. And it, it, it's a pretty dominant. Do you have any eating contest history? You know, Mark and I obviously participated in one when you fake COVID a few yeah. years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I do not, actually. Uh, I'm trying to think. Mark, the victor, of course. Yeah. Still, that. still probably hang the championship belts in my house okay mark you won the saint elmo shrimp cocktail eating contest as part of this station i was fairly new if i'm not mistaken Uh uh-huh um and i did get it must have been right around the start of the year because that's when i had covid right it was right around yeah right around christmas and honestly was the begin of uh, the Colts demise. That was Colts Raiders game, Mark. That was Colts Raiders. That yep. was the Carson uh-huh. Wentz. We were lose, the highlight of that game. I lose believe. your last two games, losing Jackson. So he got COVID week. with me. Yeah, I, you, I think you were, you were you were part of that. Although Carson did play in the game, and so that at that time, you guys took on the the St. Elmo Shrimp Cocktail Contest, and Mark, you won. Now, I believe personally, and I love the shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo. Who doesn't? But the sinus, you know, the impact on your sinuses, I have very sensitive sinuses, so it is rough for me. But I think the the bigger wallop to the sinuses and the more underappreciated Indianapolis staple of, like, watch somebody try to eat it is the mustard at Rathskeller. Yeah, you have, you have much time. H- have you had that, Mark? No. Have you, Kevin? No. I'm telling you. You get a pretzel at and Ratzkeller is just fantastic. But you, you get a pretzel at Ratzkeller with the mustard. Uh, good night, man. I'm telling you. Good night. Is that what the demise was for Bjorn Werner's time here with the Colts? <laughs> he spent too much time uh-huh. at the Ratzkeller. You know, I tried to get Bjorn Werner on the show to talk about the Frankfurt Germany game. He's like the German correspondent for NFL games over there. Where is he living now? Is he in Germany? I, I don't know what part of Germany, but basically they have some sort of international contract to air NFL games, and he's the color, the color analyst. What What was the, in your opinion, Kevin? Because this goes, this speaks to I think the crapshoot level of the draft itself in any sport, and we're going to talk plenty about the Pacers and their pieces that they've acquired and what they've done over the course of the show today. That'll be probably a big part of the conversation today. 
But Bjorn Werner, you know, here's a guy that played at a big time college that was productive in college. By all account, I, I mean, I, you would know better than I. By all account, a, a good guy. I mean, not a guy that was like going out and tearing up the city and irresponsible or anything like that, but yet just absolutely couldn't get it going in the NFL. For what reason do you think he was such the disappointment? Yeah, I mean, not what to held him back too like Chris Ballardy into traits, but I think the athletic profile of Werner is not something that like people would classify as a first-round pick. You know, he, he's not this eye-popping, crazy athlete. And yes, he was productive at Florida State. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was ACC Defensive Player of I the Year. I think that's right. Um, scheme, I, I think there were some scheme questions as well. You know, that was still back in the Chuck Pagano, Greg Minuski days of a 3-4. Uh, health wasn't great for him either. But, boy, when you bring up war, boy... But you just you just think to the misses. And again, this is a Colts topic we can get into more here as training camp is what? I think it's three weeks from today, I believe, is the first practice. So much will be about Anthony Richardson, and understandably so, Jake. But when you talk about Quiddy Pay specifically, I guess let's just go there, considering the position that Werner played. If you look at all the pass rushers the Colts have drafted early, let's just say early since Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney were in their prime, whether it's Jerry Hughes whether it's Bjorn Werner, whether it's Kamoko Ture, whether it's Ben Banigou, hell, throw Terrell Basham in there. He's a third-round pick, but all those other guys, first or second. Jake Quiddipay's easily, easily had the best start to his NFL career of any of those handful of names that I just mentioned. And I think people forget. And, and it's not like Pay set the world on fire, right. to be clear. It's more of a, those dudes have literally, yeah, it looks like they've been at the Raskeller slamming those beers. The 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 pizza there always was a little dicey for me. Uh but the pretzel with mustard sounds like could I'm be, you, uh, something to open your sinuses. Buddy, I mean, you will be able to smell like the clear winds of like Arizona from here if you hmm. it, it opens you up that much. I I, I think you know, Quitty Pay to that point, Kevin, it's very easy and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. It's very easy to kind of write a guy off after a season or a season and a half to begin their career and say, well, this guy just can't play or this it's not going to work out for him, whatever. And I think we forget that that some of the great players that we've seen, not only in this franchise but in the NFL in general, it took them a while to get going. I mean, so much of it is just being in the right situation, but also just learning the league itself. Well, Bowden would tell you pass rusher, too. He yeah, would tell you pass sure. rusher is a – like, look at Jerry Hughes. And Jerry Hughes did not work out here at all and had opportunity. Then he goes to Buffalo, and he strikes gold. I mean, he was a great player for the for the Bills, and I think, he, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's still lingering and for a long time, right? In the NFL, so uh, yeah, Pay and then Bernard Ryman. I guess speaking of German Austria area, those two guys, boy, if they can take jumps for Ryman, it's year two. For Pay, it's year three. Those are massive areas to Dio? support Anthony Richardson. Yeah, Dio moving into year three. You know, he's probably more of a versatile pass rusher and can line up a little bit everywhere and he's a guy I know is spring and there's no full pads but he was a guy that I noticed a little bit there during the spring off season program it also seems like eons ago Jake but I once again had you guys dialed in um who's more dominant right now Joey Chestnut or Alex Pillow man Pillow is absolutely you know it's interesting the race over the weekend and you're right, that does feel like forever ago. Uh, the race over the weekend at Mid-Ohio, at the beginning of the race broadcast, Mark James asked each of us on the broadcast, like, okay, you know, who's your pick to win? And I think Polo was starting fourth. 
And somehow or another, the way it works on the track circuits when they do this, I'm always the last guy to pick. So then I'm like, well, everybody's gone. You, you know, like Herda and Kirkwood and Newgarden and McLaughlin, you know, whatever. And nobody had said Palo. And I'm like, he's starting fourth and he's won, you know, two races in a row or what, you know. And so I'm like, well, Palo? The thing about Alex Palo, for those that are not fans of IndyCar, the thing about Alex Palo, who's from Barcelona, Spain, and a, a former series champion, when he gets a lead, when he gets his car out front, he is so precise when there's not cars around him that he just extends leads. I mean, you know, he's up three seconds, then he's up four, then he's up five, and before you know it, you're like, oh my gosh, like he could probably make a pit stop and still maintain a lead. And that's what he's done. I mean, he's just put races away. He has a huge lead in terms of the season championship. Uh, a great performance. Pretty good race. Great performance by Polo, no question. And the other thing that happened in racing, again, it feels like forever ago, but we haven't talked since then. I was very skeptical, admittedly, at how, and Mark Dykton, I'll be curious your thoughts on this because I know that you are in touch with just the, the, the temperate of Chicago as a sports city. The the visuals from a televised standpoint of the Chicago street course race in NASCAR were pretty awesome. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, the straightaways where you could see like the Museum of Science and Industry and the skyline in the background and Lakeshore. Have the ratings come out yet? I would assume that's been one of the more watched NASCAR It was. Races. I thought I saw that it was the highest rated NASCAR race in like three or four years, outside of Daytona maybe. Um they did huge ratings, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I don't know what the city of Chicago, like, because I think there was hesitation from the city standpoint going into it from the people of Chicago. I don't know if their mind changed or not. I, I think most people that turned it on were like, okay, this is pretty cool. And Three-year contract, right? Correct. And I would imagine that it will open the door for them to do more street course racing. I'll, I'll give NASCAR credit. I mean, I think NASCAR knew that they needed to shake things up a little bit because even though they still are, from a motorsports standpoint in the United States, the preeminent you know ratings and, and revenue generator, it, it still wasn't where it was 10 or 15 years ago. And I think they knew that they had to do some things differently. And, and again, I mean, you have a guy that, that wins the race in his first NASCAR outing and that's the first time that's happened since Johnny Rutherford in 1963. And as I said at the time, can you imagine in 1963 if you said to somebody, okay, the next time that a driver wins in his Stock Car Cup debut is going to be on a street course in Chicago, and it's going to be a guy from New Zealand that does it. Literally, a NASCAR fan would have looked at you and been like, what in the hell are you talking about? And Scott McLaughlin and him are boys, right? Yes, um, because he – Scott McLaughlin and – and I know I'm going to say his name incorrectly, and he deserves to have his name well-known within the United States. Uh, Shane Van Giesbergen, I believe is how you say it. Um, they both raced in the similar like sports car V8 series throughout Australia, and that's – I do think that that's a similar style of car or feel as a – cup car but it still is different enough that to be able to come in and win he probably had an advantage just because of the 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 style of race it was on a street course but still i don't think people realize like that's a totally different feel of a car where he came from in the series he ran 
is probably pretty similar. If you look at McLaughlin, you could see that it took a year of just getting used to the feel of an IndyCar before McLaughlin became what he is now, which is a week-in, week-out contender. I remember once hearing Dario Franchitti say when he went from IndyCar to stock car that it was like going from driving a Corvette to a school bus. So for SVG, as most people call him, to go from V8s to NASCAR is probably like going from driving, um, you know, I don't know, like a, a passenger van to a school bus. It's it's a cousin thereof, and so therefore it, it wasn't a total learning curve. But that's a massive achievement and was very impressive. Yeah, obviously the in-person crowds there and Mother Nature did not cooperate. But again, just purely from a visual standpoint, I think that would be an annual thing a lot of people would turn into. It says the Grant Park 220 was the most viewed NASCAR Cup Sprint Series or NASCAR Cup Series race on any network since the Daytona 500 in February uh, at 8.173 million viewers. Yeah, I think you just we just need to kind of sweep the in-person attendance under the rug and be like, wait, they're on Lakeshore? Yeah, hell yeah! I, I mean, that's I, totally. I was, you know, with with a group. Of, I mean, we were shocked when I was like, "Wait, that's where they're at." Well, that's what was cool about it, Kevin. Was when they were driving, you're like, "Wait a minute, I've driven that yeah. a thousand times." I've been stuck in traffic there for two and a half hours. No doubt, so, totally. Uh, yeah, I, kudos to NASCAR and the city of Chicago for doing that. It sounds like a couple more years on that end. It is a steamy, steamy, humid Wednesday morning. Sweat certainly. Uh, just by walking from the car here on this Wednesday. I'm Kevin Bone. He is Jake Query, Mark Dykton, as always. Again, Gennaro Pargo going to join us here in about an hour. That is a Pacers Summer League coach as we are, uh, what, three days away from the first Summer League game for the Pacers. And a whole lot to get to in what was a busy Friday into Saturday in general, just NBA weekend. Uh, but the Pacers made some moves that we will chat a whole lot about here on Kevin and Quarry. Hope you guys had a great and safe 4th of July. Thank you for spending your Wednesday morning with us. We'll be back on the other side. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Break them up, talking about the Cincinnati Redlegs back in first in the National League Central. Eight four winners over the Washington Nationals. They have won three Play straight. Play it, Mark. Come on. No. What? They won 18 to 22. Uh, Cardinals, by the way, beaten by the Marlins 15 2. It was the Cubs over the Brewers 7 6. That kept the Reds in first. So thank you, Mark, from your. Oh, you're welcome. For your Cubs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, in the race for PBR, the much, you know, and people ask me about this all the time when I go out and put, you know, hey, what's going on with Cute Fella? They lost yesterday to the Yankees 8 4. That puts Baltimore at 49 and 35, one game behind Mark's Arizona Diamondbacks, even though the Diamondbacks lost to the Mets 8 5. See, I think you still have the, I st- still think you have the winning percentage no the winning percentage diamondbacks 50 and 36 orioles 49 and 35 can i get an update on my a's i believe they got a w yesterday uh the oakland athletics i'm looking here i'm scouring for an oakland athletics score great pitchers duel i don't see their score oh my gosh just unbelievable no respect to my athletics one nothing over the top oh there it is right there sorry you're right your your Arizona or your uh, Baltimore Orioles still have a 583 win percentage compared to my Arizona Diamondbacks of so 581. Oh, I guess the the loss different, the one loss difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, See, you know what? I, I didn't want to get out ahead of my skis. A PBR baby. Uh, Tiger, Usain Bolt, Serena Williams. Uh, who else am I missing here? 
Alex Pillow, I guess, right now. <laughs> Joey Chestnut, uh, modern dominance, absolutely is the epitome of that. Westfield's own, that's Joey Chestnut, 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes yesterday. Adversity thrown his way. It did not deter the GOAT. Here was Joey Chestnut afterwards on his eighth straight Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. What a ro- roller coaster emotionally. They told us it was canceled. We weren't sure if we were going to eat today. And uh, I'm just happy. It's 4th of July, and I got to eat some hot dogs and get a win. It's 4th of July. I got to eat some hot dogs and got a win. How do you not hear that and just smile at him saying battle of adversity? That is absolutely beautiful. W or WNBA, by the way, fever in action tonight. They're in Minnesota, 8 o'clock tip. Fever trying to snap a four-game losing skid. They are 5-11 and 11 on the season. Speaking of the fever, of course, the other franchise within that ownership group would be the Indiana Pacers. They made some moves taking place through free agency, and Tyrese Halliburton is a very wealthy man. We'll talk about what it's going to mean for the Pacers and how their roster rounds out and thoughts on some of the pieces now. Are they done? We'll explain next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, good morning to you on a Wednesday that feels like a Monday, but it's in fact closer to the weekend than you think. Jake Query here along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5. 1075 The Fan. Hope you had a wonderful Independence Day celebration, whether that be a one-day or multi-day event for you. For the Pacers, busy time as well. Over the course of the long weekend, we now know that Tyrese Halliburton is, and I can't believe, Kevin, We and this just shows, I mean, we, we've been off for a few days and things kind of jumble together. Tyrese Halliburton agreeing in principle to a five-year, $260 million contract extension with the Pacers. That that $260 million, which is a staggering amount, obviously, that's if all incentives and, and different things come into play. So that's not a guarantee that he gets that full amount, but nonetheless. It's what, like 207, right? Is that the Yeah, and there's all guarantee. kinds of like... All know, NBA type stuff. Exactly. But on top of that. Uh, but the important thing is, and there are, there are several avenues that we're going to go with this, but that's item number one, Halliburton. Then you have the players coming in through free agency or through some maneuvering by Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan and the group. Obi Toppin coming in from New York. Uh, Bruce Brown Jr. from Denver. The players they lose. Chris Duarte, who apparently is traded for some second-round picks. Um, and as well, O'Shea Brissett, who signed as a free agent elsewhere. So I think the Pacers roster probably now is pretty set. And we'll begin with, Kevin, the Halliburton news before we get to talking about the free agents and how they fit in. For Halliburton, it's obviously a major win for the obvious reasons, and that is simply this. But I think it's what it represents. There has been, for the fan base of the Pacers, for probably the perception of the Pacers, you have... And, and I always base in sports things on precedent. And in this market, 
You had Reggie Miller, who was long the face of the franchise. But that was a slightly different era in terms of free agency, in terms of contractual, you know, the money, everything else. There were just a lot of things that go into play. Reggie played his entire career here and became a legend for that. But since then, I think that you could safely say there have been three players, maybe four, that at some point it was determined they were, in fact, the face of the franchise or the next Reggie Miller. People, I think, were longing for, thirsting for, striving for getting that guy that, that they could buy their kids a jersey of that guy when the kid was in second grade and the kid would have it all the way up into when they were in high school. Jermaine O'Neal would have been one. But Jermaine O'Neal, very good player, but but it's difficult sometimes, I think, for for that guy to be somebody that like the ball isn't going through on every single set. But more so, I, I think with Jermaine O'Neal, um, you know, injuries came into play. There were just a number of things, the brawl, obviously, but wonderful player. And I think retroactively, people now can look back and go, you know what, he was a really darn good player here, but just never fully grasped the whole franchise player thing. I think in his mind he did, but but then you go to Paul George and Oladipo. We've gone over that a million times in what happened there and that both of those two players grew into their NBA stardom before our very eyes, but then, Kevin, they outgrew it in their mind. They outgrew Indianapolis, and they felt like they had interests outside of basketball that Indianapolis could not facilitate for them be it entertainment, be it fashion, be it singing, be it, you know, whatever it might be, the brand of PG, the brand of Oladipo, they wanted to go elsewhere. And I think that created in the fan base here and probably to some extent the franchise, a PTSD. Kevin Pritchard in particular was heartbroken when Victor Oladipo left and, or, or when he, you know, when they, when they moved him because he, he, for, for the obvious reasons. So Tyrese Halliburton, I think there was hesitation of, are, are we going to get all excited and then get left at the altar again? And in fact, he grabbed their their hand and said, I do. And I think people here should be excited by that. Yeah, and, and I could have egg on my face, Jake, a handful of years down the road, but I firmly believe this is going to end a lot differently than the other two ended. Uh, now the Pacers got to do their part, and that's a big ask, particularly in a market like this where it's not easy to satisfy that that star but I do think how Tyrese is wired uh, the Midwest connections um, his appreciation for what Indiana provided him in that trade I think it's going down the right path and of course a lot totally can change over the next handful of years well, and, you know, I mean for five years I got him right right um but you know how that is in the NBA. I mean, players no, tend right. to dictate things before the contract uh, calls for a, for an end or another decision to be made. Um, to me, it's a contract that you obviously had to give him. I, I am curious, and we'll you know get into more of this. And when the details get out on the contract, is there a player option at all within this contract? I think that would be a big, big part of you know how things could go down a different path at some point. And when you look at it, and I'm not saying that Miles Turner and Buddy Heald aren't part of the next two to three years at all, but they do, or both of them, are nearing the end of their respective contracts. You know, Turner's only two more years, and Heald is in a contract year, so you're going to have an ability next year to where you will still have a good amount of cap space, even with Halliburton's contract skyrocketing coming up next year. It's an extension, so this year he still plays on his rookie deal. Next year is when this thing kicks in, so you still will have an ability to try and attract someone next year, and I brought this up a couple weeks ago, and I'm not saying this is the end-all, be-all, 
But I think you heard from guys after games last season have a high, high appreciation for how Tyrese Halliburton plays the game of basketball. I'm talking about opponents of the Pacers. And later this summer, he's going to play with Team USA. And it's not the Team USA team that we're necessarily used to of, you know, insert your dream team sort of roster, and they're going for a gold medal in the Olympics. This is the World Cup. But there are still some pretty attractive names on that roster with Halliburton. And how will word of mouth play? And how will those guys kind of react to saying, oh, wow, I love playing with Halliburton. That could be fun. Um, I am interested to see how all of that plays out. So the fact that, you know, less than 18 months ago, Kevin Pritchard and a major hat hat tip to him, you know, finally realized, okay, the two bigs is not working. So let's break up something that is not working. And in return, you traded away, and nothing against Sabonis, who's a wonderful player, but it just wasn't working here. And just got a big extension in Sacramento, by the way. Right. And in return, you now have a potential side of the building, perennial all-star type of player at a position that matters more than a big man. Like That is absolutely monumental to trying to change the trajectory of your franchise. So I think over the weekend, it was just a reminder of, wow, how quickly things could change, how wonderful that that move was. And now, and again, I know the pieces of Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin aren't necessarily going to be leading off Sports Center by any means. But now the question becomes, what can you do as a franchise to organically grow it and then also continue to build around it to keep Halliburton and move the Pacers into more of a, hey, we're the feel-good story to... We're a legit team in the Eastern Conference. Okay, Bruce Brown, let's talk about that signing. To me, it is very significant. And it is a lot of people asked over the course of the weekend, like, what do you think of the Bruce Brown signing? And my answer for you is Barry Bonds to right center. Major home run. And I'll tell you why. It doesn't jump out at you as an elite, you know, it's not like he has the elite level free agent status in terms of name recognition or splash. But we'll go back to my term earlier about precedent. Oftentimes when a team wins a championship, their auxiliary pieces get plucked away because everybody wants a small piece of that championship. That guy's got a ring. We, you know, He knows how to win. We need to get – look at that. They had a championship team, so all of their players are champions. We've got to get one of those and, and pull it off of the tree. In terms of the Indianapolis Colts, which is the one championship team of modern era that we can relate to here in the city of Indianapolis, I'll go to Cato June. Cato June was a wonderful player for the Colts. Good player on a championship team. And then he goes elsewhere. I believe it was Tampa that signed him as a free agent and had high expectation for him because he was a guy that was a starter on a championship team and was a wonderful player for the Colts and fit perfectly for what the Colts wanted to do and their blueprint for a championship and the schemes that they ran. But then Cato June gets plugged into a system where Now, all of a sudden, they are expecting an elevated role from him and a little bit different system. And he did not have the same footing that he had as an Indianapolis Colt. Great player, great guy. 
But there are other players for the Colts that you see that with, and you see this all the time. When when players are on a championship-winning team and they go elsewhere and people assume that because they were guy four or five or six, well, you know, but he was on a championship team, he's really a two or a three, and they try to elevate him or get him outside of his role. Bruce Brown Jr. for the Denver Nuggets was a guy that was at times a lockdown defender who could hit open shots if it came to him and you didn't have to design through him, but he could, in an auxiliary role, score for you and give you pop offensively. But most importantly, he could play multiple positions and guard. And the Pacers had an opening on their roster and went out and sought for a guy that could at times be a lockdown defender that could hit open shots when not facilitated through them, but if it rotates through and they have the ability to score within the flow of a set, but could play multiple areas, notably on the defensive end. Bruce Brown Jr. is a huge signing for the Indiana Pacers because they are going to ask him to do exactly what he did in Denver and not try to elevate him beyond that, but rather keep him within his exact comfort zone, number one. And number two, you could say that they overpaid for him. And in the open market, that might be the case, except for the fact that he is bringing exactly to the Pacers what the Pacers need. He is worth that value to Indiana, more so than maybe to Phoenix or Atlanta or or Portland or whoever. He's worth that to the Pacers. And Kevin, most importantly, Bruce Brown Jr. does really, really well exactly what the Pacers really sucked at. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he fills that exact void. He is the perfect blueprint for what it was in the terms of player of the piece of the Trivial Pursuit pie that they needed. Yeah, if you're going to overpay, which I say that in quotes, do it for your weaknesses. Correct. And do it for a modern, versatile... Um, kind of interchangeable piece, and I do think that's what Bruce Brown brings. I also think we lose sight of this at times, and I know I've brought it up before, but you know, this is a franchise that hasn't won a playoff game in a handful of years. Playoff game in a handful of years. Look around the NBA. Over two-thirds of the league have won a playoff game since the Pacers last hit. They haven't won a series in almost a decade. You know, Bruce Brown, a guy that took his game to another level in the playoffs, comes over here and all of a sudden walks into a locker room where he looks around he's like, Guys, have any of you even played in the playoffs? Have any of you even played in the playoffs recently? Like, no one in that locker room knows how to win at a real, real level, or at least hasn't haven't done it in recent years. You know, Turner's case, you got to go way back to early in his NBA career. Obviously, Halliburton and Buddy Heald certainly don't come from a winning culture at all. Um, you know, Matherin is still young. Some of these guys are still young in that realm. Uh, and then, you know, when I say overpaying quotes, I think people lose sight of. And this is more of an indictment probably on Kevin Pritchard's poor drafting than anything leading into this. The reason why you had to overpay is because you had to get to a salary floor. I mean, there is a salary floor. I think the Pacers, if I'm not mistaken, I think they entered this offseason with $32 million in cap space. And again, we'll have Scott Agnes on tomorrow to double-check this. I believe they had to get to 18 of that $32 million just to get to that NBA requirement that teams have to pay from a salary cap floor standpoint. And again, the reason why the Pacers had to do that is because they swung and missed on Holiday and Leaf and Goga and Duarte and all of them. So you haven't had to pay anybody on your roster any significant money here in recent years outside of Turner. And so that's why you had to pay Bruce Brown so much. When I when the Bruce Brown made move was made, 
I tweeted out a couple of thoughts, and I feel like they're relevant to share here. Versatile with the presence at the end of the floor where the Pacers stink. He brings defense. The Pacers stink there. He took his game to another level in the playoffs and finals. That stands out to me. You know, this isn't a guy that when the lights got bright, he kind of wilted. He he rose. I mean, he was big for Denver right. in those playoff games. This is the part that I think we cannot lose sight of. And I know this gets a little into the nerd cap side of it, but the Pacers gave him a two-year contract where the second year is a team option. Correct. Meaning if, if it doesn't work out, they're out. So this is like a pseudo-contract year for him. With this one-year deal. So, you're not paying him massive amounts of money. When you say overpay, I guess it's an overpay for one year. And again, I don't necessarily agree with that. But I think this is very smart and wise to keep it on the short term. If you want to maneuver after a couple years, you can certainly do that. Um, So, I thought that might have been the best aspect to all of this. It's that you gave him a two-year deal. The second year is a team option. If things go swimmingly well, boom. You pick up that option, and he's an important piece for you. I understand some people push back and say, oh, you got a log jam at the two and three, and where does he exactly fit? He's 6'4". I think his wingspan kind of makes up for a little bit of lack of height. There is a lot of questions to be answered about lineup and fit and all of that, but if I'm going to have a log jam anywhere, it's better to have a log jam at guards and forwards than it is point guards and centers. And in recent years, the Pacers have had way too much of a log jam with point guards and centers. We have all had that experience where you put on a jacket you haven't worn in a while, you reach in the pocket, and lo and behold, there's like a 20 in there, and you're like, oh, found money. Huge bonus. It's 20. Gosh, I'm just hoping for a golden dollar. <laughs> a 10, a 5. That, that might, jacket fits. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> that might have happened, actually, for Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers over the course of the weekend. We'll explain that and then talk to the guy that's going to head up their summer league team. That conversation in 33 minutes on Kevin and Query. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. So, Kevin, to your point, when you reach in the jacket that you hadn't worn in a while or a pair of basketball shorts, whatever it might be, and you reach in the pocket and you're like, oh, gosh, there's a, a dollar bill in here. Whether it be a 20, 50, 10, 5, whatever it might be. For Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers, I guess it really depends on they have yet to see which currency, which denomination of currency it is that they just found in their pocket. But seemingly, it could be 100 and it could be a single. But Kevin Pritchard realized, you know what, I've got like a surplus of second round picks. Why don't I just take two of them and, you know what, I didn't realize I had these things laying around. Gosh, here's a guy in New York that's a former lottery pick, an Obi Toppin who's an elite-level athlete, who's 6'9", who has a 42-point game in his resume in the NBA, and by New York Nick standards, because he was a lottery pick, is considered in New York a bust. And once the city of New York and the Knicks franchise is done with you, you it, there's really no going back. However... As we talked about earlier with Romeo Langford, you can get a second lease on life with franchise number two. You start getting into franchise number three, it becomes more difficult. For Obi Toppin, this is franchise number two. Is this suddenly, is he going to be like Jordan Wara, where all of a sudden you put him out there and you're like, oh, wow, okay, now that he's getting minutes, he can play. This is a guy that the Pacers essentially, I know that they gave up draft capital with second round picks, two of them. But for the most part, it was a free acquisition for all intent and purposes. And 
it may be that he washes out and is nothing more than you know a project but there's very little risk involved and potentially very high reward because he's an elite level athlete he could probably play pick and roll with Tyrese Halliburton which I think is exactly what they're looking for and he gives them some flexibility again defensively on the wing which I think is what you want because of his athleticism to me this could potentially be one of those moves. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be the case, Kevin, but it could potentially be one of those moves that three years from now we look back on and go, man, what a steal. Or it could be one that you go, yeah, it didn't work out, but whatever, they gave up two second-rounders for him. Uh, you know, what's what's the risk in it, right? Yeah, I go back to Mark's analogy and think, God, let's just hope the jacket fits after a holiday weekend. Um, I, I get that. I'm with you on that, Mark. Um, I've said this before about the Colts. Always kick the tires on former first-round picks. And in the NBA, I guess the lexicon of that, I feel the same way about lottery picks. Particularly, and I know I harp on this a lot, but I think it's so relevant, especially when you're in a market like this, where you just don't have an inability to attract big names on a routine basis. You have to do creative things to try and find that sort of talent. I mean, hell, look at the... the, you know. The teams right now in small or you know, a little bit of smaller markets that have won. You know, Denver got Jokic in the second round. Milwaukee got Giannis outside of the lottery. Like, you've got to do things in a little bit of outside-of-the-box way and try and take a chance. And again, taking a chance sounds like it's some huge risk. Jake, to your point, I mean, go up to a Pacers fan on the street and ask them the last five second-round picks the Pacers have made. Right. I mean, they'll know... Mojave King? I mean, he's drafting stash all of a sudden. We'll, we'll probably never see the guy ever again. Right. Like, it's just two second-round picks, and I think it's important to point out two things about Toppin. One, he comes from a place where there was a log jam for minutes. Julius Randle was, understandably, always going to be the guy at that kind of power-forward spot. And then two, and the Pacers have benefited greatly from this. If you look at the Pacers roster right now, with Halliburton, Jalen Smith, Aaron Neesmith, you brought up Jordan Wara, Jake, and now Toppin. That's five guys from that COVID draft of 2020. That was a very weird offseason. That's a really good point. It was a very weird, I mean, I think Dayton fans, and I know there are some buddies of mine that are that are Dayton fans, I mean, Jake, remember, they were the number one team in the nation yeah, for, oh yeah. for, for chunks that season. They were number one seed. Obi Toppin was the college basketball player of the year, and then all of a sudden, boom. So now you're saying, all right, let's get you here. You know, in, in Neesmith's case, it was a log jam with Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, and, and in Toppin's case, it was a you know Julius Randle in front of him. And I think at the bare minimum, he is this high-energy player for you that could Tyrese Halliburton can find and throw alley-oops to. And for two second-round picks, sure. And to your point, Jake, if he hits on it and he gets back to any sort of lottery pick hype, which the Pacers probably fell into a trap with Toppin late in the season this past year when the Knicks were resting guys for the playoffs, Obi Toppin started twice against the Pacers and had over 30 points in each of those two games. So when he has started, he has put up big numbers, and he actually has shot in the three decently well in those games. That, that That's kind of been a bugaboo for him in his NBA career, but I am totally good on taking a chance in a contract year, so you know he's going to be extremely motivated, 
for this guy to come here and try and show a little bit more, assuming the minutes will will rise. Um, and I'll go back to that Colts analogy there. I mean, think about the Colts kicking the tires on first-round picks. I know the last handful of years for the Colts has not been anywhere near what you would like for as a fan, but you think about the two times they've made the playoffs in the Chris Ballard era. I can point to two former first-round picks that the Colts went out in free agency and made a move for that were very impactful players for that for those respective teams. It wasn't for very long, but they were very impactful. In 2018, it was Eric Ebron, and in 2020, it was Xavier Rhodes. Two guys that weren't working out for different reasons in their previous stops. Right. Second, the, second lease, right? The Colts said, all right, let's see what you can do here, and boom, you're able to hit on that. So for the Pacers case in the NBA world, and when you're in this market, you're trying to form a lottery pick, you see what happens, I, I'm not. I don't have a great feel for how the minutes should distribute between him and Jarris Walker. There are certainly limitations to his game, but at the bare minimum, he is a high flying athlete that is at times shown he can score in this league. Former top ten pick, and obviously Tyrese Halliburton. You saw his tweet over the weekend. He seems to be a big, big fan of it. Uh, I am very good with this sort of move for Obi Toppin. Mark, I can't recall. Um... When when we were talking about Jarris Walker at the end of last week, d- didn't we? Do we know now his jersey number? Is he number one? Is that right? Number no, no. one is yep. yeah. Yep. See, that's that's disappointing for me because wouldn't it be perfect for for Obi one? Mm-hmm. I'll look at that. I mean, wouldn't that be perfect? Well, I mean, the Pacers have a perfect candidate if they do a Star Wars night. Yeah, totally. Certainly on that. Did you see? Um, Isn't Obi Wan Kenobi like seven hundred years old? I wouldn't know. Did you see the... I have no be, idea. That should be George Hill's nickname, I guess. I, th- I think uh, Dustin DePierak had this. He had a great feature on Jairus Walker. And I don't know, maybe I'm falling in love a little bit too much with this story. And maybe it's a product of the environment we live in in 2023, where this is kind of the rare story. And so that's why I caught my eye. But Dustin DePierak in his feature on Walker, he brought up an anecdote from Walker's one season at Houston where... Jairus Walker was benched for the final, I think it was 11 or 12 minutes in a game against Central Florida this past season by Kelvin Sampson. Now, why is that relevant? Well, think about Central Florida. You know, Taylor Hendricks becomes an NBA lottery pick. Obviously, that would be a game that you think Jairus Walker would have circled on the calendar. Not to mention, you just don't want to be benched for the final 12 minutes of, uh, of any game. But he struggled. He was like 0 for 5 from the floor, didn't have a good game at all. And Jairus Walker's dad texted Samson after the game. Can you imagine? You know, you're, you're... Well, there's danger enough when Kelvin Sampson starts texting, <laughs> but yes, go ahead. Insert your, insert your jokes there. Um, he texted Samson and said something to the effect of like, thanks for coaching my son. And in today's climate, I have a feeling when you have five-star freshmen that get benched for upwards of 11 or 12 minutes by their college coach, I don't think many parents are going to respond in that manner. And again, I might be making too much of the story, but to me that shows me how Jairus Walker's been raised and how he gets coaching. And it kind of falls in the Benedict Matherin trap. I mean, Matherin, by all accounts, and we'll talk to Gennaro Pargo here in 15 minutes to get more into this, I mean, Benedict Matherin is obsessed with coaching and wants to be coached. And I think in Walker's case... He's got a vat of like, okay, he's been raised the right way. He's coachable like Matherin. It's a little thing, 
but I do think the makeup of the Pacers, you've got guys that are wired in the right way. And certainly, I think our audience heard me talk about it last week. I guess it would have been two Fridays ago now when the Walker draft pick was made. The fact that you're a five-star freshman and you're willing to be coached by Kelvin Sampson, that to me shows you that you're not just looking for an easy way out and taking nine credits in your first semester and saying, I'm doing anything I can just to get to the NBA as quick as possible. You know, I saw like a photo shoot with Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard, the two first-round picks for the Pacers. Do you like 26 for Shepard? That's, uh, that's his jersey number? That's the number, right? That, that was his selection, correct? That was, yeah. I wonder if that is the – what number was he in college? I thought he was 25, so well, that would be Jalen Smith here. The interesting thing to me – Jarris Walker played one year of college basketball, and Ben Shepard is, you know, a four-year guy. Ben Shepard looks 12, and Jarris Walker looks 35. <laughs> like, the two of them were standing together, and, and literally I was looking at it going, this, I mean, it looks like, in, in Pulp Fiction, you know, Jarris Walker looks like Samuel L. Jackson, like a grown man, right? And then Ben Shepard looks like the kid... Uh, who's the kid that they end up, I hate to say it, shooting in the car? Jeez, oh, boy. You know what I'm talking boy. about, though, in Pulp Fiction. Happy return from the 4th nah, of the, July the, here, But the one, the one kid they know, like, in the in the room, when they go in the room, the one kid that they know. You know what I'm talking Taking about, right? Turn. No, you No, yeah, come on. You guys know what I'm talking about. You what got into this whole dig yourself out of it. What's the kid's name? I, I, I got nothing. Well, you guys act like you've never seen Pulp Fiction. Have you never seen Pulp Fiction, I, I, Mark? I've got no idea on the name. But I haven't you, seen Pulp Fiction in years. I don't remember. Somebody somebody has to know. Hang Send me a tweet. They go into the house when the kids are eating the burgers, and there's the one kid that they they that he leaves with them. They clearly knew him ahead of time. He was like their informant, and then they're in the car, and they're talking, and then John Travolta's gun accidentally goes off, and then they got to go to the wolf to clean the car. Is it Marvin? Is that the kid's name? That's yeah, Marvin. Right. Thank you. Quincy, thank you. <laughs> That's who Ben Shepard looks like Marvin. There we go. <laughs> and Jarris Walker looks like Samuel L. Jackson. So are you saying Jarris Walker, you want off the bus first, and Ben yes. Shepard, you want off the bus last? Yes. <laughs> Jarris Walker, I'm telling you, like just looking at him. I, I enjoyed hearing from Casey Alexander. I guess that would have been, what, last Tuesday, Mark, that we had him on, the Belmont coach? Uh-huh. You know, I, one of the first things he said to us about Ben Shepard was, Ben made his mark as a defender first. And if you look at Ben Shepard's career at Belmont, he averaged like two points a game as a freshman. So he obviously wasn't getting on the floor for offensive reasons at that point. Or I should say maybe solely offensive reasons. Um, and I think, and I guess we're still waiting on exact details with the Chris Duarte trade of what exactly Sacramento is going to be sending back in return for him. But I just look at Shepard and think, okay, uh, Duarte's time is done. And Ben Shepard now becomes what you hope Duarte was. Any other Pulp Fiction characters you want to associate with current Pacers or Colts players? You got a Mojave King reference. Who's the, who's the gimp in your? I, I realize. Okay, see, you've seen. I realize Pulp Fiction was out thirty years ago, but it's a pretty relevant pop culture film, is it not? Mm-hmm. And I didn't even like it. I thought the movie sucked, and I thought like the most overrated aspect of Pulp Fiction is ninety percent of the people that walked out of it were like, "Dude, that was the coolest movie I've ever seen." When in reality, they had no idea what was going on because it was non-sequential, and most of them didn't realize that actually what happened was the fact that the, the main character guy, I forget his name, sold his soul, and he sent in 
he sold his soul to the devil and he sent in his two henchmen to go get to retrieve the soul back which actually was inside of a briefcase and that's why it was so shiny and bright but you couldn't look at it because that meant you were looking into his soul very few people grasp that but anyway, I digress. Pulp Fiction <laughs> rabbit hole we just went down. And I've only seen the movie like that. three times. Welcome back still. from vacation, yeah. Kevin. Here we go. <laughs> we got some hot takes from Pulp Boy. Fiction. Uh, do you have a starting lineup? I, I have no idea. Like, if you were going to tell me right now, what is a Pacers starting lineup? I'm not sure if I have, like, a definite one. I, I don't know that they do, right? So, I guess, let's start here. Do we have definites? Halliburton-Turner, unquestionably, correct? Agreed. Okay. Uh, is Matherin in that group? Yeah. To me, he should be, but I, I... I'm not certain now that... I mean... Okay, let's just... Okay, okay. let's just play this out. Halliburton? Yep. Turner, and let's yep. throw Matherin in there. Let's okay. call Matherin a three, a small forward. Okay. Who's your two and who's your four? Is your two buddy healed? Or is it Bruce Brown? I think it's Bruce Brown. Okay. And then your four would be either Jarris Walker or Obi Toppin? I would go with Jarris Walker. Okay. So then your bench unit would say Heald and Toppin with... Neesmith. McConnell, Neesmith. Well, you got to throw in... Nim- Did you say Nemhard? Nemhard, Wara, Shepard. I mean... Yeah. I know I said this last right after the draft, but you look at the Pacers roster right I, now. I think Shepard and Wara probably work their way in rotation to find out which one is going to be in front of the other. Does that make sense? It's a good feeling, I think, for Pacers fans to have to go through that exercise and look at it and think, wow, those are like 10-ish guys that I'd feel pretty comfortable with any of them on the floor. I, I don't look at any of them and think, ooh, and like we didn't even really mention Isaiah Jackson. You know, I, is Daniel Tice still on this team next year? Like, I, I do think there are a couple fringe questions, and the Pacers have cap space still. They can make an ancillary move, and I almost think the entire NBA right now is on a little bit of a freeze. It's like, okay, no one's going to do anything until Damian Lillard's thing plays out. That's the next big domino of like, all right, everybody pause. Let's see what happens with Damian Lillard. And then let's re-up with our chats. Aren't there people that are kind of pulling for Portland in the Damian Lillard situation? I, I don't have this great disdain for what Damian Lillard did. I, I, I think he gave Portland a hell of a run, mm-hmm. and I think he deserves to be in the situation he is I, right I now. I mean, I agree, but he, he signed a deal, right? I mean, what's he have left on it? Yeah, but again, there's part of a franchise where you have got to build a winner, too. They just drafted three overall. He's kind of he's the NBA version of Mike Trout to me, where he's such a great player, but a lot of people don't see him because of the team he plays on right. and the time zone That's he's in. It's a good analogy. Yeah, I mean, how long has he been there? It's got to be close to a decade. But still, I mean, I mean, does every player I have, have nothing to stay against, in the franchise? I have for nothing 15 against years. Well, I think I have nothing against Damian Lillard, Kevin, but I think there are a lot of people that are like, yeah, you don't have to stay there forever, but you should honor your contract. You signed a deal, you stayed through it, and that's why it's called free agency. Yeah, I I, I hear that side of it. I also think we're a little bit of prisoners for putting this immense burden on people that say you have to win a title or else you don't amount to anything. I, I get Look it. Look at how but, people sum up Chris Paul's career right now. But if you're a Pacers fan, it's in your best interest to see that Portland rides it out. I, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you should root for probably the franchise to get the best. If Tyrese Halliburton plays here for a decade, I think we all can say 
Good job. Halliburton, good job, Pacers. Damian Lillard's a, a player option next year, so he's a free agent if he wants to be next season. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're Damian Lillard, just play it out and then go into free agency. Honestly, uh, he's given Portland the benefit of the doubt now because he's saying, hey, cash in on me. They're going to get a hell of a return, and now they're going to well, have I mean, Shaden Sharp and a Scoot Henderson, and Jeremy Grant, I guess, is still still on the roster, as awkward as that. It's one, is. it's one thing, and I don't know, you know, I'm not in the room, right? It's one thing for him to tell them that he prefers a trade. It's another to demand a trade. I don't. So I guess I should back that up a little bit. I, I hope he doesn't demand a trade, or like, I'm not going to play for you again. If he is simply saying, look, it's probably in your best interest to trade me because... I'm going to opt out next year. That's different. That's different. I, but if it's a standoff and he is contractually bound to the team, especially as a middle market team, I, I would hope in that case I would side with the franchise. And I get it. It's all. I mean, I, I totally understand it, but you sign a contract. I'm just different in that regard, I guess. O'Shea Brissett to the Celtics. Um, that is the lone free agent. So if the Pacers didn't have a lot of free agents. George Hill, James Johnson. Uh, we'll see if any of those guys do return. And again, we're still waiting kind of official details. I was talking with Tony East last night. I'm like, still nothing on this Chris Duarte trade? I We still haven't seen any sort of exact return value for Duarte I, I thought it to was Sacramento. two number twos, right? Has that been reported? So basically, if that's the case... I, I thought it was was two second rounders, future second rounders. Tony said we hadn't heard anything. So and if that's the know. case, then I, I thought I saw Kevin. It, it was like a twenty twenty seven and twenty twenty eight second rounder, or some distant second rounders. But if that's the case, then basically, um, they traded Duarte for Toppin because they sent out second rounders to New York. Do you think it's just out of the basement today for Joey Chestnut, or out of the attic as well? I would say I'm trying to get back to normalcy. Probably just the basement. I I would think that he any performance enhancing drugs to help that, or do you think it's just all natural? Well, I would. Th- you know what? There could be. Does he some, have to pee in a cup today? I Is mean, there might be part some of the road rules? construction might not have challenges. A choice in that matter, don't you? Don't you feel like that you eat sixty two hot dogs that could lead to, you know, just like a kind of like a jackknifed semi on the interstate and everything gets backed up and you're like and then you're waiting and it's very uncomfortable i think you're just laying in a tablet and water hit you this morning mm-hmm. like you're just laying there like i i don't think i'm doing anything today it, it has to be honestly like kidding aside I, I can't imagine it like the i know that joey chestnut who is a super nice dude and lives here now and is you know pretty well known around yeah, town parade at grand park for him today right yeah that's right i i i I know that he goes and sees doctors. I mean, he and I have talked about it. I, he goes and, and, you know, he's not just doing these things without any sort of, like, medical, you know, supervision, if you will. Yeah, Motman was front row yesterday. But that can't be good for your body. <laughs> well, of course not. Like, to, to fast for four days and then eat in mass and then fast again. I, I mean, and he's not, I mean, it's amazing that he's not, that he doesn't look like, you know, four hundred pounds or so. I, I mean, with eighteen thousand four hundred fourteen calories yeah, for Joe I mean, Chestnut yesterday. Sixty-two hot dogs in ten minutes. Mark, can you play that audio of his overcoming of adversity when Mother Nature <laughs> tried to rear her ugly head? How dare her! Uh, 
we didn't know if we were going to eat today. Like as if that's the only way he's allowed to eat. Sorry, because oh, think about it. If you he's he's right though. If you if you fasted to get yourself ready, and then they say we're actually doing this tomorrow, do you fast another day? Well, do you fast? Because I always thought he said that you have to still kind of eat to keep your stomach expanded. Yeah, you don't I, really fast. I've never had this conversation with him once. He said, and I think I have this right, you eat something similar to the amount that you're planning to eat in the contest 24 hours before, and then you fast and you eat. I forget what the exact food is you eat to keep your stomach expanded in that 24-hour period. So your stomach is then I mean, built to withstand it. No bueno, man. No bueno. We know. You've, you've checked out of the shrimp cocktail eating contest. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. A Gennaro Parger, Gennaro Pargo, Pacers Summer League coach, joined us in a few. A couple of other Joey Chestnut notes before we get to the morning check down. Uh, other accomplishments on his LinkedIn. Hard-boiled eggs, 141 of them in eight minutes. 55 glazed donuts in eight minutes. 121 Twinkies in six minutes. By the way, to clarify, it's in Pulp Fiction, it's not Brad. Brad is the guy that has the big brain. It's Marvin. Marvin is the kid in the room that they knew previously that clearly tipped them off to what was going on that they leave with Marvin. That's who I'm talking about. I thought we said Marvin. Yeah, I know, but several people are saying, no, you're wrong, it's Brad. Can you imagine the brain freeze with this one? Brad's the kid eating the burger. 25 and a half ice cream sandwiches in six minutes. Zero chance. My brain would be frozen for a year. Do Do you know that if you get brain freeze, if you're eating ice cream, and you get the the quick ice cream headache. Put the put your tongue in the roof of your mouth. Hold it there. It goes away. That works. Okay. Good to note. Uh, a quick morning check down right here. We're going to talk about Pacers summer league coming up with Gennaro Pargo, who is their head coach. So we'll do it quick. Reds over the Nationals yesterday, eight four. It was the Marlins Don't over the St. Louis Cardinals. Here come the Red Legs. Fifteen two. Reds back in first in the NL Central. Cubs helped them out by beating the Brewers seven six. Orioles losers to the Yankees eight four. Still a percentage point ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks in our race for PBR. Mets beat the Diamondbacks yesterday eight five. Athletics one nothing over Detroit, and it was the Indianapolis Indians eight five winners over the Memphis Redbirds. Uh, fever back in action tonight, trying to end a four game losing streak. couple of other things of note. Alex Pillow, one in mid-Ohio. His dominance here is really unforeseen in this modern era of IndyCar. Three straight wins, four of five. Could easily have won the Indy 500. Darn impressive. Uh, Toronto, a week from Sunday for the IndyCar schedule. And yeah, I think that covers everything. Pacers Summer League Chatter with Gennaro Pargo on the other side. Alright, let's head to the Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Payless Liquors Hotline. He is the head coach of the Indiana Pacers coming up in Summer League action. First game Saturday evening. I believe it's 8 Eastern here back on... uh, for us, that, that matters here from a viewing standpoint. I believe ESPN2 as well. Uh, Gennaro Pargo, the Pacers assistant, who again will lead the Summer League uh, team coming up here for a handful of games out in Vegas, joins us now. Coach, good morning to you. Are we packed and ready to go to Vegas? Good morning. We are packed and uh, we got practice today and then we're getting out of here. Coach, I'm really curious about this and I appreciate your time this morning. Let's begin with this in terms of, of coaching Summer League. You know, in terms of the mindset, like how much does the organization, I guess, guide you on how they want you to coach? And I know that sounds weird, but hopefully you can get what I'm saying there in terms of, 
you know, it's got to be 50-50, right? I mean, you're wanting guys to develop, but you're also wanting them to be in situations where they're they're learning, winning, and, and working together. How do you approach it from a coaching standpoint just in terms of the roster, the minutes that you're allocating so that everybody kind of is getting an equal evaluation? That's a great question. Um, yeah, and it is kind of 50-50. Uh, it's, a, it's a growth development process, not only for the players, but but for our coaches as well, uh, we're all doing uh, new things, having new responsibilities. So uh, it's a growth and learning experience for for coaches, but also our players. Uh, put them in different situations that we that we maybe want to look at during the regular season. Um, uh, the guys that for sure that they're, they're going to be on our roster, going to get those guys a lot of minutes, and um, like I said, just help those guys develop by by getting in game action and. Um, it's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, Rick and the organization is doing a great job of allowing me to uh, to kind of put in some of my own my own uh, basketball things. So uh, it's been a great experience so far. Ken Janera Pargo is with us. He's coaching the Pacers Summer League here coming up Saturday night, their first game. You mentioned some of those guys. You mentioned kind of coachability. I think Benedict Matherin would probably fall into that category. Um, what was it that you guys wanted Matherin to work on as he headed off for his first kind of real offseason in, in the NBA? And then now that he is going to be with you for, we'll see how many games out there in Vegas, uh, how has he returned and how's he looking here in year two? Well, some of the things we want him to work on was just uh, his ball handling, being able to create uh, plays for, for, for others. Uh, he's a he's a, a heck of a one-on-one player. Um, we also want to put him some in some ISO situations and get some numbers from that. Um, he's come back hungry. You know, um, I think someone asked the question, uh, you know, is he trying to win or is he just trying to work on his game? And he kind of gave him a stare like, no, I'm playing. I'm, I'm trying to win. Uh, so his attitude, his leadership has been great. Uh, and we're looking forward to, uh, uh, to seeing what we're going to see from him this summer. You know, you played Gennaro. Gennaro Pargo is our guest. He's going to be coaching the Pacers in Summer League. You played in the league, and you had a very circuitous route to get there. I mean, you came into the league. You played for, I think, seven different franchises. You played in different countries. You played in the G League. You played where there was opportunity. Does that give you a more unique perspective than some coaches in terms of being able to see somebody that might be playing in the Pacers Summer League that everybody else overlooks and you can connect with and see that vision of that guy has what it takes. That guy has the resiliency that's necessary. How much does your experience as a player help you evaluate as a coach? Uh, I think it helps tremendously. Um, Just seeing um, a guy's attitude and work ethic when he's not playing. Uh, I think that says a lot about a player. Uh, because it's easy to come in the gym and work hard, knowing that you're going to get minutes and you know you're going to get shot attempts. But when you don't know and things are not necessarily going your way, how do you respond? How do you react? How do you work? And I think when you have a guy that's um, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, has the right attitude, and then when his number is called, he's able to go out and perform. Um, those are the kind of guys you're looking for in the summer league, guys who can fill up the end of your end of your roster, uh, high character guys that uh, that knows what it takes to be ready to play at all times. You know, I do want to get back to the Pacers for just a second, but Jake's question kind of made me think of this. You, you obviously played the league for over a decade. 
Who is the player that you don't think got enough credit, whether it was on your own team or an opposing player that you feel like from the whatever uh, media doesn't give enough credit for how that uh, how that player was? Uh, first guy came to mind is uh, the Luau Dane. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Luau Dane was an incredible leader. Uh, worked very hard. Um, turned himself into a heck of a player. I think averaged close to maybe 20 points a game. And uh, he was one of the leaders of those those Chicago Bulls teams, uh, you know, led by Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah. Um, those guys get a lot of credit, but I think Luol Deng was uh, one of the guys who, who was a leader on that team, uh, a great scorer on that team, and uh, probably doesn't get enough credit. Will, will you, over the course of the summer, Coach, Will you come up with, or has the just for example, you know, has Kevin Pritchard or Rick Carlisle, Chad Buchanan, at any point, do they ask you to, or do you set up scenarios or or systems or plays specifically for a particular player? So, in other words, if you go into a game, could you say, okay, player X, I want to see how he responds late in game when plays are going through him and then tomorrow we'll do that for player y and tomorrow do you does it get that calculated or is it more just let him play and and evaluate from there yeah um kind of way our system is set up during the regular season is is it's not a lot of play calls um we kind of just put our guys in situations to play the game of basketball and um we allow those guys freedom to do that and so we want to do the same thing here in summer league and, and just kind of evaluate um, how guys are picking up um, on the different ways of how to play the game of basketball. Um, um, I will tell you one thing that we we're, we are doing is um, we're trying to put uh, Ben Mathern in, in ISO situations and um, <clears throat> and maybe looking at the numbers on, on that because uh, he's the guy who. Uh, who wants the ball um, in all kinds of situations. And and he's really good at ISO situations. So we wanted to look at the numbers and, um, and, and show him the numbers and let him know that, okay, you know, the numbers are great. We're going to give you some ISO situations or the numbers are not so great. So let's continue to move the ball and, and, and play the game the right way. So uh, that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at this summer. Interesting. Uh, Janera Pargo is with us here again. Pacers assistant. He'll be leading the summer league uh, out in Vegas coming up Saturday night. A handful of games for the Pacers and their rookie group, plus a couple of young guys. Uh, Let's go with the first round picks, if you don't mind, Coach. Your first in-person impressions of, uh, let's start with Jairus Walker. Um, A very versatile player. The guy can guard. uh, He can dribble, pass, and shoot. Um, Long arms, athletic. Um, I mean, there's nothing on the floor that he can't do. Uh, so we had to find ways to uh, to get him involved. Um, talented, um, great personality. Uh, looking forward to see what he can do uh, uh, this summer out in Vegas. And then, uh, go ahead. Uh, ben Shepard, yeah. um, just a happy guy. Um, great energy, great effort. Uh, I think defensively he's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, he can really shoot the basketball, plays the game at a at a at a, at a high level. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing him as well. Um, two great rookies, Coach. Do you find it's? Do you think it's a bigger challenge 
you know, most players, I think, when I watch an NBA game, I sit there and I watch and I think to myself, <clears throat> you know, even the, the 12th guy on a bench is probably the greatest player. You know, there are two guys in a bar right now talking about how they saw that guy play in high school, right? Like they're the greatest yeah. player at everywhere they've been along the way. Occasionally, you do get guys that make it to the league because they've been blue-collar guys throughout the course of their career and not necessarily natural scorers. Do you find it harder, which is the bigger challenge, I guess, for guys that have been Swiss Army knives but not great scorers to have to learn to develop an offensive game or for guys that are natural scorers to have to learn to do the other things if there are other scorers on the floor with them? That's another great question. Um, I'll give you guys a quick story. I played with uh, Tracy McGrady uh, in Atlanta. And at this point in his career, he was uh, playing maybe uh, 15 to 17 minutes uh, coming off the bench and, you know, didn't know where his shot attempts were coming from. And so I asked him, which is harder, uh, being Tracy McGrady now or being Tracy McGrady in Orlando and Houston where, you know, you had to come out and score 27 points a night and, uh, and the ball was coming to you every time, and you had to perform. And uh, and he said to me, it's definitely harder, uh, you know, playing 15, 17 minutes a night, not knowing where shots are coming from, and and having to have have to do the little things. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's harder to um, come to this league as a scorer and then have to change your game to being a role player and you know playing defense, taking charges, and and doing all the little things. Coach, last one for me, and again, Gennaro Pargo is with us here, Pacers assistant. He's got the responsibility of leading the Summer League in Vegas. Um, Isaiah Jackson, obviously a big year for him. Anytime you reach kind of this point of your rookie contract, uh, the importance of these years kind of rise. Certainly when you guys draft him, you knew there was some molding that that needed to be done. Uh, What have you seen from Isaiah here in camp as he enters a pretty critical year? Uh, Isaiah's been great. Um, A lot of leadership. Uh, I've seen him, uh, you know, pulling our, our, our big rookies aside and, and, and teaching them things we, we taught him a couple of years ago. So his leadership has been great. On the floor, he's been, he's been everywhere, catching lobs, blocking shots. Um, just his voice, his presence on the defensive end, um, it's been night and day. So he's, he's been great so far uh, this summer, and, and we're looking for big things from him this summer. Now, Coach, my last question for you, if I'm not mistaken, and you correct me if I'm wrong, when you were at Arkansas, you overlapped between Nolan Richardson and Stan Heath. Am I correct in that? Uh, no, um, I was only with Nolan. Okay, that's okay. so Stan Heath would have been right after I guess you left, but th- I'm glad because Nolan Richardson was the guy I was going to ask you about. I absolutely loved, when I was in high school is when Arkansas really burst through with Nolan Richardson on the map with Lee Mayberry and Todd Day and Oliver Miller and 40 Minutes of Mm -hmm. Hell and all that. I loved Nolan Richardson as a coach because I just thought he was a defensive innovator of the fact that like, if you weren't going to go out there and be a bulldog and play for 40 minutes, you weren't getting on the floor. I'm just curious if your best Nolan Richardson story or just what kind of guy he was as a coach. Uh, You know what? Um, I thought Nolan was a great coach. Um, he wasn't just stuck in his ways. Uh, I think offensively, my senior year, we must have tried three different offenses, three different offenses because, <laughs> I mean, we couldn't get anything to work. So for him to be flexible, to, to change his offense three different times, just trying to give us the best opportunity to win games, 
that that really stuck with me. Uh, a quick story is, uh, um, you know, we would we would come into the gym for practice, and Nolan would just put forty minutes on the clock, throw a ball out, and say, "Okay, let's go," and, and we would just practice for forty minutes, and um, we we asked him about our defensive philosophy, and he said, "Just just be like dogs with rabies." <laughs> yeah, well, that's what it looked like, right? That's what it looked like. That's that's how he wanted us to play defense. I mean, we never did defensive of scouts. Uh, we never worried about what the other team were going to run because we didn't allow them to run it. We was just out there like dogs with rabies running around and causing havoc. You know, it, it. I don't know about you. You probably saw him with more frequency in your post-playing career than have I. But the first time that I saw it, when he like quit dyeing his hair or whatever, and all of a sudden like he had the white hair and the goatee, like I was like, "Who in the world is that?" Were you stunned by that? He kind of looked like, was, like honestly, like he looked a little bit like Colonel Sanders. Truth be told, yeah, he actually did. Yeah, I, I was stunned by that. I think that was uh, just just years of coaching. Yeah, hey, I mean, fifteen rabid dogs will do that to yeah, you, right? Sure. It would do that. Yes, it will. Coach, we'll, we'll end with this. I'll ask for some confirmation on this. Jeremiah Johnson, obviously Pacers TV sideline reporter, he uh, retweeted us last night when we said that we were having you on the show, and he uh, labeled you as the assistant coach with the best basketball skills in the NBA right now. Are you putting your basketball skills up with anybody in the league right now from a coaching standpoint? Uh, from a coaching standpoint, yes. I, I would do that, but I'm not one of those coaches who still think he could play in the NBA. Those, <laughs> days, those days are long gone for me. And you got to clarify that, right? <clears throat> you have to, absolutely. <laughs> he's been a busy man throughout the draft workouts, obviously working out with some guys, and now he's going to lead a few of them out in Vegas. Gennaro Pargo with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Coach, congrats on the opportunity. I've heard glowing remarks from pretty much everybody in the organization about you and your ability to coach, so congrats on this opportunity, and looking forward to watching the boys uh, here over the next handful of days. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. That is Gennaro Pargo right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I thought that was some good stuff, Jake. Thanks, Very good. Um, and it's it's fascinating, right? I mean, you know, the part about Matherin right there. I mean, that's that. Look, we're going to try to run isolated sets for Ben Matherin and, and and develop his game offensively in that area. That's exactly what summer league's for. And I thought that was kind of probably the biggest question people had when they saw the summer league roster. Like, oh wait, Matherin is on it. You know, you typically don't see guys that have as great a rookie seasons as he did play in the summer league. But when you know Pargo brought up some of the rationale behind that, it got me thinking to that final game of the year where the Pacers were resting, obviously, a lot of guys at that point just in that semi-tank mode. And Matherin, I believe, I think it was against the Knicks. I'm sure Obi Toppin had a huge game against the Pacers. But I think Matherin had a career high in assist that afternoon, that, that final kind of Sunday afternoon game. And I think that's the area where the Pacers want to see him grow is, to Pargo's point, you know as a one-on-one guy he can get to the rim at will. And he's proven he can get to the foul line and finish at the rim and do that at a really high level. Now I think the next step for him is don't always feel the need to be a bull in a china shop. He can be a bull in a china shop, which is great, and it's impressive. But can you get into the lane and say, all right, let's pause Let's take a breath, realize people are probably collapsing on you because you have this reputation as a great scorer, and now can you find other guys? Can you be more of a distributor, more of a playmaker with that? So I thought some interesting comments there, not only on Matherin, but several of the other 
rookies and Luol Deng, most underrated. That's player. That, that was fascinating too. I <laughs> love Luol Deng. No, no disrespect to Jeremiah Johnson or to Coach Pargo there, but um, let me throw out a couple of names here. Oh boy, there goes any chance we have of Pargo coming on the show again. Well, in, in I know that Pargo still like practices with the team or is out there like you know doing things so jaris walker had to guard pargo during the draft work like i think he's in great shape for sure so i don't know that these other guys are in the same shape jacques vaughn probably not right steve kerr steve kerr looks like he'd still be able to play some pickup ball pargo's spunky pargo's young jason kidd too old um, Monty Williams, too old. How old's Pargo? He's got to be right around forty-three. Forty-three. 40. Yeah. I mean, what's kid? Kid's got to be close to fifty. Uh, kid is just a, a year or two behind me, so he's like forty-eight. Vaughn would be like forty-five or forty-six, but Jacques Vaughn looks like he's enjoyed a few dinners with Khalid Elamine. Jason oh. Kid is fifty. Loved Khalid Elamine. Yeah, Khalid Elamine. I was looking for him on that Coney Island. Eating contest yesterday. Okay, Doc Rivers. Okay, how about this? Damon Stoudemire? Stoudemire's now in Oh, He's a head Georgia coach. Tech, right? That's right. That's right. Um, I think you get to the point with Pargo's age, it's all about who's in the best shape. It's no longer about basketball well, I, skills, I would agree really. with that. I, I mean, that. even if you play pickup right now, pickup's not necessarily about who's the best basketball player. It's about who can run up and down the floor. I didn't realize Vin Baker's an assistant with the Bucks. Is that still true? Vin Baker. What a name. Honestly, Ronald Norred probably can still play a little bit, right? So what happened there? Was that a falling out between that's Norred a, and It's a good question. I don't know. For those that are unfamiliar, Ronald Norred, the former Butler head coach, or excuse me, a Butler player, who was a Pacers assistant coach, Brownsburg high school coach. Somebody uh, on him was a Butler head coach. Now he is on his way to Atlanta to become an assistant for the Hawks. So I don't know what the – unless, and this is entirely possible um, – an elevation, although he was a pretty active assistant. I think Lloyd Pierce is kind of thought of as the as the lead assistant right. for the Pacers. Yeah, when so, Carlisle gets ejected, Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce Correct, the, so maybe Norad moves up a spot. Jenny Bushek now will be, she was behind the bench last year, she will be on the bench this season. And then Jim Boylan, you see the Pacers hired him? Former Bulls head coach? Uh, excuse me, Mark? Not a Boylan fan. Okay. It's the Bulls. The like Luol Deng, don't like Jim Boylan. Yeah. Okay. Luol Deng was the straw that mixed the drink with that Bulls. How about the Detroit Pistons, by the way, have... You ready for this? The Detroit Pistons assistant coaching staff. Jerome Allen, Brandon Bailey, DJ Baker, Bill Baino, John Beeline, Keith Bogans, Jordan Brink, Brittany Donaldson, Austin Dufault, Drew Jones, Rex Cal- and Richard Lewis, and Jim Moran. Boy, Keith Bogans. He could Good Lord. Richard Lewis. Yeah. He could shoot. Saturday the 8th, the Pacers against the Wizards. So is that a, is that the Bilal, Kulaby, Jarris Walker game? That's right. Uh, 8 p.m. ESPN 2, Monday the 10th. The Wednesday, battle of the, the draft 12th, day trade. Friday the 14th, the Pacers will have one more game on that. Again, we'll see about Trace Jackson Davis's health. I know he's been a little banged up here early on. Um, has not played yet for the Warriors. It's supposed to be Friday night at 11. That would be Trace Jackson Davis against... Jalen Hood Shafino. So we'll continue to monitor that situation. Uh, we'll continue some Pacers talk as well, getting a little Colts. Uh, thank you to Gennaro Pargo from the Pacers. That will be up on the podcast if you miss. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kevin and Corey on the other side, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Is this their signature song, Mark, or would you go with Dust in the Wind? I would say this one. Over Dust in the Wind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I love both songs. Bill and Ted would disagree. I, I think that's a pretty close bet right there. I mean, mo- notably because it's the, the only two that most people can name, probably, right? Yeah. Um, Kevin, while you were gone, and I hope you enjoyed the time in Michigan. We haven't gotten into that much, but uh, up at the compound. While you were there, there was pretty big Colts news that we did not get your reaction towards or about or have not since. So we now know what the penalty is going to be for Isaiah Rogers and would like to get your thoughts on it, but we're up against it, so we're going to do that on the other side to kick off the next hour. Sound Let's good? Let's do it. I love it. All right. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, The Fan. All right, 9 o'clock hour here. Kevin and Corey, I hope uh, you guys had a safe 4th of July, a little bit back to reality today. It's a steamy one. And Indy, believe it's going to be that way again tomorrow. Some rain in the forecast. Looks like temperature is going to drop a little bit here coming up this weekend. Jake, I did see, I, I missed a little bit of Colts news late late last week. Is that right? I'd say a little bit is a fair way of saying it. Um, and I can't remember. My days all jumble together, so my apologies. But, of course, we now know that Isaiah Rod and, and the one thing I think that was interesting Kevin was we knew going into it that Isaiah Rogers was the player that was you know part of this investigation in the NFL for gambling and Adam Schefter had initially come out to say you know he's going to be suspended a year I think it was Adam Schefter and I thought if he wagered on the Colts we already have precedent for you know, Calvin Ridley being suspended one season for wagering on NFL games, you would think that wagering on your own team would increase even above and beyond that. And in fact, it did because Isaiah Rogers' suspension is listed as, is listed as indefinitely. Yeah, he's got to uh, apply for reinstatement, which is what Ridley had to do as well. Uh, Rashad Berry backup defensive end who's had kind of a journeyman route already in the NFL uh, was released as well. He was the other that was involved in this. Yeah, and you care if I chime in or right there on Barry? Because I did have a few people re- reach out to me late in the week and be like, oh boy, another Colts player. You know, like they're, they're like, oh man, there's two. Because the headlines could easily say two Colts players suspended for a year and cut by the team. Rashard Barry joined the Colts in early January 2023. So, and again, I don't know this for sure, but it is my assumption that when Rashard Barry was betting on, I, I, I would guess, NFL games, he did this when he was not with the Colts. Um, he actually was with, I think, Jacksonville a little bit last season. I believe he was with Detroit as well, which Detroit we know has had a slew of uh, gambling-related violations within their roster. So I I don't think this one screams as a Colts player, you know, under Chris Ballard's watch, that sort of thing. I am 
assuming that this happened before he joined the Colts. In Rodgers' case, though, obviously a Colts player, obviously a Chris Bauer draft pick. And honestly, when I saw the news, Jake, I wasn't shocked at all by the length. I wasn't shocked at all that the Colts cut him, what, 30 minutes after the NFL released the statement, if he, if it was even that, that long. It's just a reminder to me of the stupidity that Isaiah Rodgers um, did in risking such a golden opportunity. And I understand the NFL is in bed with gambling apps and all of that, but if 99% of the league can follow the rules, then why can't you? Do they? I mean, if you look at the numbers right now, I mean, what have we had? Probably 10 of the but he, you know, 90-man roster times 32. I, I don't know what the math is, but I'd say 98, 99% of the league is following it. And, he, and I think his own teammates have said that. EJ Speed said it very bluntly, I thought. In the days after the Isaiah Rogers thing just happened, and saying it's pretty simple, just don't bet. It's not. It's not worth the risk. But here is my question, and I don't know the answer. Was Isaiah Rogers found to be guilty of this, and Barry? because of an investigation that was specifically targeting them because something had been tipped off? Or were they caught up in a league-wide investigation? In other words, the analogy I used the other day, Kevin, there are two ways that an impaired driver gets pulled over and pulled off the road. One is that impaired driver is driving erratically and someone calls in and says, there's someone on the road that looks like they're impaired. And the police find them and pull them over and determine they're impaired and remove them from the road. The other is the police set up an area where they start pulling people over and randomly checking them and determine, well, that person is impaired and remove them from the road. Which manner is what got Isaiah Rogers off the football field? Did the NFL get a phone call that someone was was acting erratically and therefore that person was investigated? And, and he and Barry were found in that? Or were they doing a league-wide investigation and these are the only that turned up? Yeah, I, I don't know for sure, I guess, to answer. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like the geolocation. So for anybody that, and I know this because I was just in Michigan this past weekend, you know, when you cross state lines and you're trying to use a gambling app, oftentimes it will say, all right, we need to confirm your location. And in the states that gambling is not allowed, it will not let you bet. So there is a location tag with all of these gambling apps. And I think that is part of it of the NFL has relationships with the respective gambling companies that if you do make a bet, they are contractually obligated to release that information to the league, whether that is a location, a.k.a. at the team facility, or whether that is the type of bet in that you can bet on other sports, you can't bet on the NFL, though. So don't bet on the NFL and don't bet at the team facility. Those are the two big things. The thing that I could see collecting players, and I think now it's abundantly clear. Hell, if it's clear to you and I, it's got to be clear to somebody who's playing in the league. But one thing, Kevin, that if I was an NFL player, I would not have been aware. I mean, I'm sure they were made aware of it, but that surprised me is you and I have been, I mean, you know, you're in the Colts locker room every Wednesday. When I worked in television, notably, I was at Colts availability every Wednesday. I think they had, I'm trying to think of, they had Wednesday availability, maybe Friday back then. 
And then, of course, after games, whatever else. When you go into an NFL locker room in the middle of the winter, you know, you go in there and you get a glimpse of what the day looks like for those players before practice begins because that's when the media is in there. And guys are walking around. Some of them are getting like getting out of the the whirlpool to get you know where they're loosening up their legs some are getting treatment on a knee some are just in there to to look at film before practice and they're walking in and out of the locker room and there are always kevin it's like literally a sampling size of life and i'm saying all of this for people that that don't have the privilege of the access that we've had you walk into the locker room and there are 70 lockers and in those 70 lockers, which encompass, you know, obviously the, the practice squad and the regular roster or whatever else, there's always one or two guys that are just like sitting at their locker and it looks like they're almost like going, looking over the mail. There are always one or two guys that are sitting there and maybe they're playing a video game. Somebody's got a, a video game system set up console in their locker and there's a couple of guys playing them. A couple of guys maybe playing Nerf basketball or something. And there's always one or two guys that, that, that come walking in And they walk over to their locker and they're wearing shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. They walk over to their locker and they unlock it and they pull out, you know, look at a couple of things that have been left by a trainer and they grab their phone. And they sit down at their chair in front of their locker like all of us do and they're looking through their phone. And they're probably checking Facebook and Twitter and text messages and email and whatever. And I would imagine it would be that they also flip open one of the apps oh you know what i i played at boise state and one of the guys that i on my dorm floor is a baseball player now he plays for the padres and i just realized he's starting tonight that'd be fun i'm gonna put down 20 bucks on the padres to win against the braves tonight that'd be fun and he puts it on there and he's inside the facility and he has now violated an nfl league rule i think it would have been very easy for players to fall victim to that before. I, I don't know about now, but I, how clear was that made to them? Yeah, I, I think that is the, that's a fair question on the clarity of it. I mean, clearly, if you look at the numbers, it's not like it's been five players on every single team or even bigger numbers than that. So clearly, a large, large, large portion of the NFL population has been able to follow these rules. Um, I think some of that is on the league. I think some of that is on agents of these players to make it abundantly clear that they do not do this. Um, I'll go back to the stupidity you know, word that I use with Rodgers because, again, we're talking about you rank the top five Colts on the roster, most important greatest opportunities sit on a platter for them in 2023 Rodgers would be near the top of the list I mean we're talking the final year of his rookie contract a day three pick comes from a small school it's make or break the depth chart is wide wide open and he risks it for these bets and there's a report out there that you know what he had a thousand dollar prop bet on the over under of a Colts running back you know that's where you get in the slippery slope of integrity oh sure let's Mm -hmm. just take for example Zach Moss Zach Moss ran for over 100 yards to end the season so does that mean in the in the days leading up to the game on Sunday Isaiah Rogers was out of practice for three days and was like damn Zach Moss is getting all the reps at running back no Deion Jackson no you know Jonathan Taylor was hurt at the time I'm trying to think who even the other running backs were on the roster he clearly knew he clearly had intel inside information and so now he goes and places a bet and if that word gets out 
Now, all of a sudden, you've lost a little integrity of the game. And if that snowballs, that's what the NFL cannot afford. So I'm curious if that's the bet that set off the kind of the, the warning signs to the, the sports books when they see a wager of four figures. And they're like, huh, interesting. Because usually sports books like to highlight like right. big money wagers that hit. I wonder if they like, saw a $1,000 over under. Like, Well, huh, that's how the Alabama baseball game bet mm-hmm. happened. So remember that story? It was Alabama, I think, versus LSU. And the bet was placed in a Cincinnati... I want to say it was the sports book attached to Great American Ballpark. That bet was placed there. It was a significant amount for an Alabama LSU baseball game in Ohio. And that triggered something in their system of like, what in the world is this? Right. And they're able to find out that well, the Alabama manager had tipped off that listen, his ace wasn't starting. And, and that's how all of that unfolded. There have been, over the course of time, sports gambling scandals in college athletics that the red flag was when a you know Boston College basketball or Boston College might have been football but you know a school that normally gets and I'm just literally throwing out random numbers a school that normally gets $80,000 of activity in a Las Vegas sports book per game all of a sudden has $450,000 being wagered on it it's like whoa wait a minute Something you know, something's going on here. That's how those things get tipped off. So that that's entirely possible. The thing that I've said about this, Kevin, and I'm going to repeat what I've said numerous times. the The NFL's biggest concern is they want to make sure that. And don't kid yourself. I don't mean you. I'm saying in gen- people in general. The NFL, when they say they're worried about the integrity of the game, what they're worried about is that you can trust the integrity of your wager. Because the NFL knows. The NFL is the 800-pound gorilla in this country, and a huge, huge, huge aspect of that is gambling. And so they want to absolutely make certain that you know that when you place a wager on a team or a parlay or an aspect of the game in a otherwise game that is meaningless to you between the Cleveland Browns and the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night football, they want you watching that game. They want you interested in that game. And they know that the second that you no longer feel like placing a $10 wager on that game is something that is in your best interest because it might be tainted and so therefore you're not going to place that wager and therefore your interest level in that particular otherwise innocuous and meaningless game to you is taken away that is the nfl's biggest fear don't kid yourself when they talk about the integrity of the game what they mean is your the integrity of your bet they mean product too because in 1960 whatever when they suspended alex karras and paul horning for a year because they bet that was because of the the product and they want you to watch the product. But, but and even back know, then, even back then, though, Kevin, before apps and everything else, I mean. But they weren't in bed with the apps then. Understood. But what I'm saying is, they knew. I mean, you know, the the Daily Line in 1960, you pick up the Cleveland Plain Dealer and go to the sports page, even though it was illegal everywhere but Las Vegas. They still put the lines in the back of the pages. I mean, they still put the wagers in there. They knew that it was it was taking place. I mean, I get. I'm just saying they they absolutely know and to your point now they are in bed with the apps and so they want to make sure that people that their customer which is in this case the app their business partner has an integrity of its product right I mean all, all the way around I know Matt wanted to join in on this conversation Matt good morning to you 
Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. Um, with the uh, comments uh, Jake was making about the confusion, I guess the Jameson Williams, he bet at his team hotel on a college football game. So it's not just the facility. It's any team-related activity. And with the, is it a field sobriety checkpoint or is it anything like that? The timing of it, didn't like 12 players all get suspended, a couple for the Commanders, a couple for the Lions, a couple for the Colts, all at the same time? I think they all were in related to 2022 activities. I don't know if, you know, all all of them happened in September, October, November from last year. I I do think to your point, Matt, again, more clarity on exactly – Team facility, team hotel, team buses, you know, team airplane. I mean, that stuff, I think, is a bit confusing there. And it's probably why Jameson Williams only got six games. Or the guy for the Titans, uh, Petit Ferrier, their, their big offense tackle from the, for the Buckeyes uh, from, from Ohio State. He just got six games. And that fell in line with the, I think he did it actually at the Titans facility. He bet on, I believe it was some sort of other sport maybe Man, it was the, the hotel i can totally in ohio state game give benefit of the doubt there i i, I mean again i now I, I think now it's clear to everybody and i would assume it was very clear to the players from the get-go but i mean can't you see it though like you, you sure and that's you, why you, you got an away game you fly into the team hotel you're laying around on a saturday and you know you're yeah what are we going to do here we just we just had walk through and we had training table whatever and i'm back in the room and Georgia and Fresno State are getting ready to kick off. Yeah, I'll put twenty bucks on this. What? Boom! You're in the team hotel. I mean, that's that's pretty nitpicky. But hey, rules are rules, right? I think we all have rules at the companies that we work at. That sometimes you're like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> we don't hear. No, right? not none. Here. Uh, Petite Ferrier against six games for the Titans. Uh, the other big, I thought, AFC South news. And this is not gambling related. This is performance enhancing drugs related. Uh, Jacksonville left tackle Cam Robinson, four games for PEDs. So that means week one here at Lucas Oil Stadium, Trevor Lawrence will be dealing with a backup left tackle for Jacksonville. I said when the schedule came out, I think that's a, I think that is the ideal time to play the Jags if you're the Colts. Ideal time. Opener, hype, offseason hype, intrigue, all of it. Throw in a backup left tackle. Does Jacksonville come back to earth a little bit? There's a lot of expectation on him, Kevin. Didn't a they lot. like? Weren't they on Earth last year, and then they just got hot for a month? Yeah, but that I mean, there's and like they almost got blown off the field in their playoff game. They had to make some historic comeback. I feel like at times we got too caught up in the moment. No, with they, Jacksonville. their playoff game was Cincinnati. They no, had a chance. No, no, they had the huge comeback with the Chargers. Oh, you're talking about before they got eliminated. Yeah, then they lost to Kansas City in the next yeah, yeah. round. That's right. They had a huge comeback. You're right. Like, they had to beat Tennessee in the last week of the season to make the playoffs. They easily could have lost that. I mean, Tennessee literally All all I'm saying is there is now a lot of expectation on them because it seemed like you could visually see things coming together for them. Yeah, that is fair. And they are, I think, kind of them and the Lions are in that, oh, yeah, they're the team. You know, they're all of a sudden going to make another jump forward. I'll say last thing on the Isaiah Rodgers front. And this gets back to, again, just how much of an opportunity he's thrown away here. Right now, three weeks from today, the Colts will have their first training camp practice. And Dallas Flowers will be a starting corner in that training camp practice. And I would say right now, Jake, I'd feel pretty confident to say that Dallas Flowers will be a week one starter for the Colts. 
And if you rewind to December 15th, the midway point of the final month of the year last year, Dallas Flowers had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. Had yet to play a defensive snap in the NFL. And here we are, seven, eight months later, three weeks before training camp, and that dude would, I think, qualify as a very good chance to be a starter at one of the most important positions on the football team. I mean, we're not talking right guard. We're not talking linebacker. We're talking corner in today's NFL. It's just wild to me how that position group, and it's not just the Rodgers news, the trade of Stephon Gilmore as well, how much that position group is overturned, and again, how much of an opportunity Rodgers has thrown away because it's not like he needed to do a whole lot to secure a starting job potentially make a second contract, and boom, all of a sudden, he's making the $2.5 million he was supposed to make this year, and now he's signing a three-year, $12 million deal next year. Now, do you remember... With two kids under the age of one, by the way. Do you remember this time, like a year... Well, it would have been about 10 months ago. Who on this program was the one that was the most high on Di- Dallas Flowers in, through training camp and through the preseason? Anybody recall? A stroke of an ego is not something that I missed during... Uh, now... I'm going, to confe- I'm going to confess something to you. It was because of his college mascot? Four things. He had a, oh, like a four? He had a tipped pass interception in the end zone in one of their preseason games. And I thought, well, that's good hand-eye coordination. Then I was like, well, who, who is this guy? And then they said his name was Dallas Flowers. Well, I liked his last name, and then I thought it was cool that he was named after a city that has an NFL team, so there's two. Three, I... Looked at it and I went, well, cornerback is a position where, like, you know, he, he can return some punts or whatever. Maybe he can make the roster. And then four, and this was the big one, he went to uh, Pittsburgh State, which is the Gorillas and is like a Division two or three power. And when I was at University of Kansas, I had a buddy from Pittsburgh, Kansas, who was a big Gorillas fan, and they're a big deal there. So those four added together instantly made me realize this was the next Ty Law. Oh. That, that's the exact formula that I used. So there was zero football acumen for the most part in what I did in my evaluation. Is that why he didn't make your top 10 most indispensable Colts list? Because I'm looking right at it, and I don't see Dallas Flowers listed here. No, I, I, I'm, I'm openly mocking my own criteria. Couldn't pass Danny uh, Penter on that list. Yeah. Or Rigoberto Sanchez. Rigoberto Sanchez was a key loss for them. 4-12-1 because the punter tore his mm-hmm. Achilles. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. what what positions were last year of Danny Pinter is one. He Danny Pinter, would you agree, let them down? Yeah, I'd put five other offensive linemen above Danny Pinter in terms of people that let down the Colts. Understood, but what I'm saying is... if. Danny Pinter was a guy that they had a lot of hope and expectation for last year that I think his inability to deliver on that had an impact on their season. Are we doing the show from training camp? I saw a lot of morning practices announced with the schedule. I think I believe we are, yes. Uh, 13 open practices for the Colts at training camp, for those that missed it. Uh, seven of those in the morning. That is a very, I shouldn't say very, but that is definitely a shorter Grand Park schedule than we're used to with the Colts. Agreed. July 26th will be the first practice again three weeks from today. The last one will be that joint session with the Bears on August 17th. There are a lot of like breaks within that schedule as well. So there are a couple Saturday night practices. Again, both the Bears practices are at 6 p.m. That's Wednesday the 16th of August, Thursday the 17th of August, uh, a Sunday afternoon practice. So you do get more probably weekend times. 
But just in general, from a quantity standpoint, a little bit of a shorter camp schedule at Grand Park. You're five there. Do the how many practices? How many public practices with the Bears? Two. Back to back, sixteenth and the seventeenth, and that leads right into our back nine event on the eighteenth. Right? Did you see Justin Fields uh, doing the gentleman start your engines for the I did NASCAR? See that, yeah. I, people were getting on him because it was low energy. I, I thought it was more odd that he was wearing a long sleeve sweater. I think they had him in a hotel. I don't think that was outside. It looked like it was like a a hotel. He's uh, getting ready for the rain. with the weather. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, again, our back nine event will be August 18th. So right after the two joint practices with the Bears, you can head out. Uh, actually, go to our fan page. This is a great page that we have up on our website. Um, if you go to the events section, some great shots of the back nine. Which back is nine is cool. Downtown. Uh, a great golf event, entertainment. You've got two big screen TVs. Get a view of downtown. Um, so we'll be out there for our – that is a fan golf outing uh, presented by Franciscan Health, August 18th. 10 a.m. is when things begin. 11 a.m. officially underway. Lunch will be provided throughout the day. JMV is going to be broadcasting live from there. So looking forward to that again. August 18th, that is a Friday. The perfect way to start your weekend a little early. Uh, By the way, speaking of weekend... It's not necessarily the weekend we're recapping because it's a Wednesday, but it felt like the weekend, so let's get you caught up to date on what took place in the world of sports yesterday. When you're talking about Independence Day and the 4th of July, of course, that means the Nathan's famous hot dog Coney eating, I guess it's Coney dogs, but these are not Coney dogs, but hot dogs eating contest. Joey Chestnut of Westfield, Indiana. I believe the record is 77. Yesterday, he ate 62 hot dogs. 76 is the record. 77 would be the record he wants. The new record? Yeah. Who holds the existing record? Joey Chestnut. So why does he keep talking about how he wants the record? He has the record. I don't know. Because he's he defines greatness. He wants more. <laughs> he's always looking for more. Well, can you play that clip? Mother what Nature. Roller coaster emotion. Oh, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, Mother Nature delayed the event. I could have all you know really just turned it upside down. And Joey Chestnut just staying the course uh, shows his ability to adjust, to adapt, to lead, and comes out there and doesn't miss a beat. What a ro- roller coaster emotionally. They, they told us it was canceled. We weren't sure if we were going to eat today. And uh, I'm just happy. Uh, it's 4th of July, and I got, I got to eat some hot dogs and get a win. <laughs> we didn't know if we were going to eat today. What, did he just like drink a bunch of water to get set for the next day? How great is that? The look on his face when he was walking back out there after the rain delay. Oh, my gosh. Looked like MJ coming on the court for Game 7. <laughs> Ice in his veins. What happened to that Kobayashi fellow? Is he still there? Yeah, we need a 30 for 30 on that. Because that could have been one of the greatest rivalries in sport. And then that Kobayashi, he went wacky one time, right? And they had to, like, tase him and move him off the stage. And, you know, there was some rumors last year that Kobayashi sent the protester up there to try and derail Chestnut. (laughs) Remember the choke slam by Chestnut? Oh, it was incredible. Unbelievable. Last year. True American hero. Uh, By the way, Major League Baseball. Give me a thank you. Major League Baseball, Reds back in first in the NL Central. Here come the Red Legs. Eight four winners over the Washington Nationals. That's three straight for Cincinnati. They were helped out by the Cubs, who defeated the Brewers. 7-6. 7-6. It was Marlins 15-2 over the Cardinals. Mets over the D-backs 8-5. Pirates winners over the Dodgers. Oakland over Detroit one nothing. The White Sox 4-3 losers to the Blue Jays. And the Indianapolis Indians 8-5 winners over the Memphis Red Bulls. Fireworks galore there over at Victory Didn't Field. Didn't Memphis used to be the Chicks? 
Really? I think it was the Memphis Chicks and the Louisville Redbirds. Now it's the Memphis Redbirds. I do remember the Louisville Redbirds back in the day. Again, uh, home at Victory Field all week long for the Indians. A couple of other notes. The Fever back in action tonight in Minnesota. They have lost four in a row. And Jake, I know it was a few days ago, but you talk about dominance. That would define Alex Pillow right now in IndyCar. Yeah, Colton Hurta started on pole at Mid-Ohio, but Alex Pillow, who started fourth, eventually worked his way up to the front, and then there was really no looking back. Uh, Pillow was in dominant fashion, wins his third straight race, fourth of the season, has a huge points lead. Uh, the other storyline in the race of the IndyCar race in Mid-Ohio probably is that of rookie Benjamin Peterson, who was running in the back of the field, was a lap down, and a lot of the cars that were trying to work around him, including Pillow, the leader, uh, couldn't get around him. And many thought that he was blocking, thought he was too aggressive. I, I kind of understand it. You're a young driver. You're wanting to stay as much on the lead lap or a lap down as you can. Uh, it's a tough thing to tell a guy to, to just lose the instinct to let people go past. Something you learn over the course of time in your career. NASCAR running on the streets of Chicago. Uh, absolutely fabulous in terms of the visuals of it. Mark, did you say, I mean, have you talked to anybody in Chicago or just what the overall thought process was of it in hindsight? Uh, yeah, I mean, people that weren't NASCAR fans did watch it on TV. I know, obviously, the weather played a huge factor as far as turnout in person, but very cool visually. I think people enjoyed it. I mean, the ratings seem to back that up totally. as well, so it'll be pretty interesting to see how they did. But a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I, I drive that road all the time. People are reflecting on their route to work all the time with, with oh, he's turning yeah. by the and, Field and, Museum. And that's why you got to keep on doing it. Yeah, Get away from the in-person experience and more of the how cool does it look on TV. Uh, the winner, of course, the Kiwi, Shane Van Gisbergen from New Zealand, winning his first NASCAR event. That is the first time that has happened since Johnny Rutherford did it in a Daytona qualifying race in 1963. Two things I want to add. Shout out to Luke. Thank you for this, Luke. Uh, Kevin, there is a 30 for 30 on Chestnut versus Kobayashi. It's called The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry. Really? I don't know how I didn't know this. That I can't wait for to see Maddie's look on her face. Firing that up this afternoon, probably. That's what we're going to be watching tonight. Uh, secondly, Jake, let's go back to IndyCar quickly over the weekend. Uh, Simon Pagano in that in that crash. Yeah, that was a Simon Pagano wow. had a brake failure. His car basically went side. He he flipped six times, and it is amazing that he walked away from the crash. He was not medically cleared by IndyCar, even though he was in. I mean, he walked away from it and was and was good the next day. But so, like concussion protocol. My guess would be thinking? a concussion protocol. Connor Daly filled in for him um, and did fine. Meyer Shank Racing is rumored to be making some changes for next year in terms of their roster. Uh, I don't know that that would include Pagano, but we shall see. But they've made extensive changes to the cars always in the sake of safety and i think yesterday or excuse me over the weekend not weekend whatever it was yeah it was saturday right that paid off for simon Pagano. my days are all mixed up because it's a wednesday today but um scary accident but the good news is you know he was able to walk away yeah i don't think we're used to seeing that type of single car incident very often no flipping um, six seven times yeah so what happened essentially was you know his brakes failed and so Pagano maneuvered the car in a certain way to try to slow down i think the inertia of you know the energy of the speed that he had and in doing so just the combination of the way he turned it and then the car going from pavement to grass to to the what they call the kitty litter the sand trap is what got the car airborne and then it just 
basically rolled sideways through the air off of the ground six times before coming to a stop. Confused. We continue to see these tarps going out at Wimbledon. Didn't they put roofs on a lot of these courts? I did see last night. Huh? There's just two of them? That looked like center court to me, and we're throwing a tarp on it. If you're there, isn't it pronounced Wimbledon? In England. Scotty says no. I'll that's, bet you on that. I'll bet if you go to England, they say Wimbledon. Really? That yes. sounds more Southern Indiana than it does. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I know we say Wimbledon, but, apostrophe but, but I believe there, there the correct pronunciation is Wimbledon. Wimbledons. Uh, it is time for the pop quiz. Scotty is in the building. Scotty, we're Scotty gonna was a, emphatic in his denial of my Wimbledon. Yeah, statement. that was quick. Are we getting a Joey Chestnut question on the pop quiz? Uh, yes. Oh, I love it. We get a Joey Chestnut question on the pop quiz. Give us a call. Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs. 317-239-10. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. N70. You know, the first question on the pop quiz should be, what day of the week is it? Yeah, it's going to be one of those weeks, right? I mean, it's, it's just weird, right? I don't love a Tuesday, 4th of July for several reasons, but... I mean, driving in this morning, there was a moment I just looked in the mirror and said, all right, Kevin, you can do this three days. Let's go. <laughs> now, what day of the week is the, what are the best and worst days of the week for the fourth? Oh, if it falls on a weekend, that stinks because you're not really getting any time off of work. I think the best And the day, firework people go crazy, right? I think the best day for fourth of July is Thursday. No one is requiring you to work that Friday. Would you rather have okay? Would you rather have the freebie days be at the beginning or the end? End. Mm-hmm. So you can treat Sunday how it should be treated as a decompress, recharge the batteries. Yeah, I agree because then everybody gets the fireworks out of their system Thursday, Friday, and then kind of you know re-energize and get ready for you Sunday. Know, last night people acted like it was the final day on Earth, and I mean, and now they're hit with the reality of they got to work today. I, I know. I mean. I, and I couldn't believe when I got up this morning. I'm like, the, there was still like the smoke haze in the air. God, it was steamier than. Steamier but I'm not saying anything car. negative about people that do their own customized Sad Sam's Let's Blow Up Everything fireworks show because then you get misconstrued as non-American. So, well, you know. they're going to find where you live, Jake, and do that again tonight. <laughs> that's right, because you know that's going to last all week long. Um, all right, we got the pop quiz. Uh, there is a Joey Chestnut question. I, did I miss this? The good, the bad, the hungry, the thirty for thirty, Chestnut and Kobayashi. It, it feels like the thirty for thirties now. You know, in. In the outset of the 30 for 30, they were like two hour long, like really well done documentaries. I feel like now there's like shorts. Yeah. There's now now they all, instead of being on TV, they're all on like, go watch it on ESPN Plus. I'm like, oh, okay. Unpopular opinion. I, I thought the Reggie Miller versus the Knicks 30 for 30 was really like, I loved it from the nostalgic Indianapolis standpoint, but they tried to pack too many different things into like one show. It had like the Reggie and Cheryl thing and the Reggie and Spike thing and the Pacers versus Hicks versus Knicks thing. And there were like a billion things going on. Stick with one. Same with the Bo Jackson one. The Bo Jackson one I liked. And then after a while, it just kind of, it just kind of ran its course. I don't know. It was like, it was too, it was too long. They were doing too much. 
Uh, Mark, we got callers? We've got callers. Jake at number one through eight. Uh, we'll go with number six. Six is who, Mark? Jackson. Jackson. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Uh, Mark Jackson, you think? Maybe. Jackson, you're a regular of the pop quiz, right? I've been on a few times, yes, sir. Have you won before? Uh, about, oh, I'd say somewhere between three and four times over the years. Wow, okay. Jackson, you sound like yeah. you got a great uh, singing voice. Has there ever been any singing in your background? Um, man, I sang in a wedding one time, oh. a long time ago, but I don't know. I, I really don't why that, know why they asked me. Now, like you actually sang because they wanted you to sing because you have good vocals, or it was 11 p.m. at the well, wedding, the band was packing up, and you grabbed the mic? Well, I've done that, too, but yeah, no, they actually had me <laughs> sing at the wedding, but yeah, I don't, I, I, still to this day, I'm not sure why. Now, Jackson, I, personally, I think Jackson is a super cool first name. Um, but it's a typically, name I wanted for Max. Typically, it's a middle or last name. So I'm curious, if one's first name is Jackson, what is your, you don't have to say your middle name, but what's your middle initial? Um, Preston P. Okay. See, that's it's it's also not uncommon. I shouldn't say uncommon, but typically, if somebody has a multisyllabic first name, it's a monosyllabic middle name. So to have multiple syllables in both, unique. I kind of like that, right? Yeah, I had Jackson on my uh, boy name list for Max. I thought Max sounded too much like a dog. <laughs> no, that's a ringing endorsement for your son. Well, now he's my dog. He's my dog. Uh, it's nice. Harrison and Jackson, but then Maddie said no more S-O-N names. <laughs> okay. So we had to move on there. Uh, Jackson, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Um, let's go with Kevin today. All right, Jackson, let's do it. The Pacers acquired Obi Toppin from the Knicks over the holiday weekend in college. His team was ranked number one, or was going to be a number one seed until COVID happened. Uh, where did Toppin play college basketball? Belmont, Murray State, Dayton, or he went straight from high school to the G League? Dayton. Okay, question number two, Go Joey Chestnut flyers. won his 16th mustard belt with his win in yesterday's Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest in New York City. 62 of them he ate yesterday in 10 minutes. He also holds the record, which is the perfect number for an event that takes place on the July 4th. What is the record that Joey Chestnut holds for most hot dogs in one Nathan's contest? 62, 70, 72. No, look at Jackson. All right. Number 76, he said. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz. Did I mention to you guys I got a De La Cruz shirt? Really? Yeah, it's coming in the mail. I cannot wait. <laughs> uh, Ellie De La Cruz had four hits in the Reds' win over the Nationals yesterday in D.C. Name the last player, age 21 or younger, to have a four-hit game on the 4th of July. Jackson, was it A-Rod, Ken Griffey Jr., Robin Yount, or the household name of Bobby Doerr? Let's go with the uh, let's go with the household name Bobby Door. Yeah, this isn't By your way, first I, rodeo. I uh, I ordered a Chinese knockoff De La Cruz jersey. It's a De La Cobalt. By the way, a little less expensive. Uh, Dear Lord. Jackson, When's question number vacation? four. That was a Monday joke. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I got Monday. one more vacation. It is a Monday. Come on. Oh. Uh, Jackson, eight Atlanta Braves were named to the National League All Star team. The first time an NL team has sent eight players to the All Star game since two thousand eight. Which National League team in 2008 sent, sent eight players to the All-Star game? Reds, Cubs, Dodgers, or Phillies? Let's go with the uh, Phillies. Okay. Okay, we'll round out with this, Jackson. Jackie Robinson broke Major League Baseball's color line on April 15, 1947 for the Brooklyn Dodgers of the National League. 
On July 5th, 1947, the first African-American in American League history made his debut. Was it A, Larry Doby, B, Satchel Paige, C, Minnie Minoso? I read that as Minnie Mouse at first. Or D, Willard Brown? Oh, who, who was it? Can you say the names again? Yeah, was it Larry Doby, Satchel Paige, Minnie Minoso, or Willard Brown? I think it was Larry Doby. Jackson. Jackson, I can't recall. What school did you attend? I went to uh, Anderson Madison Heights. It's it's no longer around. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, I think we did this before with you, but so Anderson, you had Anderson, Anderson Highland, and Anderson Madison Heights, right? That's correct. And there is now only one of those still in existence, right, Anderson? Yes, sir. But Anderson is actually utilizing either is it Madison because of the fire is it Madison Heights or Highland that Anderson High School now uses yeah it's 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 housed in, in what was what was Madison Heights okay so your old high school is still in existence it just now is Anderson High School and not Madison Heights that's but correct did, now did Winston Morgan and Stu Robinson were they Madison Heights yes they were okay Ray Talbert and Bobby Wilkerson too. Yeah, I, I was. I didn't know if all four of them. I thought one of them might have gone to Anderson, but. And what's um, the latest in the wigwam? Boy, the wigwam. Do you know that Jackson? I, I last I heard, it's kind of a mess, but I don't. I don't know that for sure. I've not seen it. Jackson, you ever played Killbuck Golf Course in Anderson? A couple times, yeah. It's a nice yeah. course. Nice, nice track. When Colts had training camp up there, I used to play that quite often. You ever been to the IHOP on Scatterfield? That many times, yes, sir. <laughs> Which of the nine? 13 stoplights on Scatterfield <laughs> right. between 69 and Colts training right. camp. Uh, Jackson, great work as always. Well, that was a, what, a four for five effort? That the was only solid. One he, only one he missed, Jake, was your question. The only four? one he missed, the 2008 All-Star game, it was eight Chicago Cubs that started. He said Phillies, the answer was the Cubs. He got every other question correct. Impressive. Solid. You blew it! Should ask Jackson what song he sang at that wedding. Got to be uh, piano Is he still man, on the right? Line, Mark. Yeah, he, yeah, he's still there. Jackson, what was the song that they had you sing at the wedding? Um, I will be here by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Can you oh. give us a few? Can you give us a few notes? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Come on! Yeah, we uh, clear your throat. Uh, I thought I was going to say. I thought you were going to say Ave Maria, but chime no, in whenever. Um, gosh, are you guys serious? No, yeah, uh, Hell as, yeah. yeah. Take a shot of Jaeger. It's July if you need 5th. To. Come on, Get back in the zone. All right. I'll, I'll just sing the first line, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Tomorrow morning, if you wake up and the sun does not appear, <laughs> I, I will be here. <laughs> Let's go. Jackson, great work. That's. Sounds like the opening act at the IHOP on Scatterfield. Unbelievable. How is Anderson <laughs> Casino not had Jackson out there? To that is off beautiful. Uh, that what is a great beautiful. sport. Jackson, thanks for calling, ma'am. All right, guys. Take it easy. <laughs> oh, that is absolutely wonderful by Jackson. All right, we'll do it one final time here. Kevin and Glory. Hey, Katy Perry fan, Jake? You know, she's one of those that... Um, I, it would be disingenuous for me to opine either way on her. She's obviously very attractive. I know the left shark deal in the Super Bowl. Um, and the few times that I've watched American Idol, wasn't she a, a judge on one of those shows? 
I think that's right. Yeah. I, she seemed like a nice person. I mean, she's very attractive, sure, and very talented, but she seems like a decent person. Like she seems like a nice woman. I, yeah, Firework, obviously, a great song there by Mark Dykton. As now, we are you a fan? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Great, great, great musician. Um, yeah, pretty attractive. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Now you, uh, Kevin, missed it when I was talking about Noel Gallagher, and I went to his concert. You are or are not familiar with Oasis. Well, yes, uh, yes. We Not had, like majorly, but yes. We had a discussion slash debate on the relevance of today. Oh, I can totally see how that, that all played out. Um, all right, well, let's head to the Palace Lakers hotline. We're going to round things out here with a pretty cool story. Uh, Scott Rowland is going into the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame coming up to Cooperstown here in a few weeks and has a connection to um, Pam Frenzel, who's on the line right now, and Pam's son, specifically Tyler. And Pam's going to share a little bit more about that with us right now. So first off, Pam, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. I want to leave it pretty open-ended, if you don't mind, Pam, but just to begin, could you explain um, your family's connection with Scott Rowland, who, again, the Jasper native, will be heading into the Baseball Hall of Fame here coming up in a few weeks? Yeah, um, well, my son, Tyler, um, he was seven years old when he developed leukemia in 2002, and he was... um, a a good little athlete loved all the sports and a friend his gym teacher actually had a connection with scott Rowland and set up a meeting between the two of them in 2003 and scott invited us out to st louis to kind of have a day with the cardinals um tyler got to go you know on the field pregame meet a bunch of players and and get a bunch of paraphernalia um autographs all that um just had a great day and at the time we kind of thought well this was amazing tyler loved this but we'll probably never see this guy again because you know it was sort of we figured it'd be a one and done thing and um it wasn't scott stayed involved in tyler's progress um met with him several times they became really great friends and it was a really special bond and relationship to watch. And, um, we were just so grateful for Scott and his willingness to enter into my son's suffering and be a part of his life. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Pam, you know, obviously a a great honor for Scott Rowland going into the hall Mm -hmm. of fame. And I'm sure that you feel, you know, kind of a piece of that, greatness if you will because of what you saw away from the field um your son passed in what 2004 or 2005 is that correct yes in 2004 did and, and certainly it would be the hope that that gave him you know some joy some happiness and, and some some reprieve from obviously the pain that would have gone in through his journey in terms of, of mm-hmm. tyler's you know journey there but did scott Rowland stay in touch at all with you or throughout that process oh yeah and we're still in touch with him um he we just became friends he you know he came several times he invited tyler out during those two years that he was sick to games um then when the cardinals got to the world series in 2004 He really wanted Tyler to come out to a game, and Tyler was just too sick to be able to enjoy the experience. But after that, Scott came to our house, 
and it, it was really funny. He just he walks in and he kind of, he had this Target bag and he just handed it to Tyler and said, "Here, I brought you something." And Tyler opens it up and it's his game worn jersey signed with Tyler, you're my hero. And then the two just went down to the basement and played video baseball. You know, it was just mm. this, oh, here, I brought you something. It was no big deal to Scott to hand over that special um, item to my son. And and for Tyler, he just, he was his buddy. You know, he was just a friend. You know, <laughs> he wasn't, you know, starstruck. He just loved having this friend who, you know, would come and, and spend time with him and take his mind off cancer. Pam, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read something where didn't Scott, I don't know if he made it clear to you guys, maybe he asked for like no media coverage at the time of, of, of some of this stuff? Yes. He's, he's such a humble man. I mean, he's not about himself, you know, and all the coverage and a couple times that happened. Um, Right before, a month before Tyler died, he wanted we wanted to have a birthday party. His birthday's in March, and this was November. And Scott came out, you know, signed balls that he said no. You know, I'm sure the media was interested, would have been interested in the event, but he said I'll come under one condition: no media. And he mm-hmm. came to the party and signed balls for the kids, and you know, participated. And he just wasn't interested in it being about him and taking away from the experience with Tyler. Now, July 23rd is when Scott Rowland will be enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame. May I assume, Pam, that if you're not going to be there, you'll be watching it, right? I'm going, yes. Oh, awesome. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say. Um, yeah, it's full circle. It's I'm there for Scott. I'm there for Tyler. It's just amazing to me to I know Tyler's smiling down, um, you know, for Scott to receive this amazing award. I, you know, I wouldn't miss it. Well, I was going to say, um, goes without saying, Tyler's going to be there too, right? Oh, yeah, he will. <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, his, his leg, you know, he lives on. He gave money to Scott. Scott has a camp in Bloomington, Camp Emmaloo. Um, and there's a huge tree house there, Tyler's tree house. Um, and, and it all started with it, money from Tyler. He handed to Scott and then it just snowballed from there. And there's a 3000 square foot tree house in the woods on the camp property. So, well, Pam, it's a special story for certain. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time this morning to share it and certainly hope you have a great time in Cooperstown and are able to soak in Scott Rowland's accomplishment and that of the bond with your son as well. Appreciate you sharing it this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Pam. Wow, what a cool story. Um, absolutely unbelievable. It's Scott Rowland and the gesture of him off the field. And as Jake said, July 23rd, that weekend coming up, Scott Rowland into Cooperstown and a Hall of Fame act off the field as well as a hell of a player on it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great Wednesday. We'll chat with you.